This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered and it's Monday. But boy, a Monday to celebrate. BYU celebrating. They won a bass or a football game. Well, it's not startling. Sure it is. Okay. And uh, they beat UNLV, by the way. Who, I guess they went into this game 6-0 and against UNLV. Yeah. But I think UNLV was the favorite to win. Yes, they were. It's a big and upset. It didn't work. Uh, so, boy, that's exciting. That's fun for the campus. Um, they're actually, they've got a little more spring in their step, I noticed. So I was driving in. A lot of people with spring. Yeah. Just bouncing all over the place. <laughs> uh, so that's great news. Also, other good news, um, President Trump, I believe, uh, wrapping up his Asia trip on no, his way. Not quite yet. No. no. Uh, but making lots of friends over there. Oh, sure. Um, he, he had a wonderful message to Kim Jong-un once he left the um, Korean Peninsula. Then when he got to Vietnam, he wanted to respond to Kim Jong-un calling him an old man, but he said he would never do such a thing. He would never say that Kim Jong-un was short and fat. Right. Now, by the way, language that we teach our children every day not to use, not to call names, not to cast aspersions based on, you know, someone's physical features. Hmm. But our president did it nonetheless. And luckily uh, did it abroad. We got a bunch of real dummies. Yeah. So um, that's always exciting news. Um, Kellyanne Conway was asked about it yesterday during an interview. What did she say? She said, well, they called the president names first. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, we they started it. Well, yeah. And on the playground, I think you just say Neener Neener. That's what it felt like. (laughs) How would you spell Neener Neener? Well, um, it depends. Clinical or just, you know, (laughs) clinically, you'd have to put a K-N-E-E, knee. Oh. But, um, yeah. Hmm. Really, she said that. Yeah. He he said the rude things first. Yeah, North Korea insulted him first, so he was responding. Well, it's okay then. I think that ought to be a great question for Joe Cannon. Uh, How often is diplomacy started or initiated by people making fun of other people's bodies? (laughs) Did that ever work as a kid? Uh-uh. If you told somebody, well, they start, oh, well, that's okay then. Okay, you're yeah. Good. Well, good. Okay, then I guess we're good now. We're even. Yeah. It's really interesting. And then he, um, President Trump also was meeting with some uh, vets, I believe, sometime over the weekend. The weekend. Hmm. And he said, he, then he said something like, they really like me. Then he turned back to him, you guys really like me? And then they all started plotting. And he's like, yeah, see, they really like me. <laughs> And I'm thinking, you're the president of the flipping United States. Everybody likes you when you're the president. I and mean, even when they don't like you, they respect you. You're the, you don't need applause from nine vets. Did he have his hand on the ejector seat button or something? You no. really like me, right? <laughs> it just seems it just seems like too much. It's like the kid that, hey, so you guys, I've got Oreos. You really like me, don't you? Yeah, I mean, some, you like me, right? Some former intelligence officials are concerned. They talked about it yesterday on some yeah. of the Sunday shows that – these world leaders come in. They 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 favor Trump with compliments. Yeah. They favor him with. Uh, they talk about his achievements, and they they have these huge celebrations for him. Oh yeah, and they're just playing up to his ego uh-huh. to get him to do things. Yeah, and they're concerned that Trump could be 
you know, compromised, spun, however you want to look at it, by world leaders to do certain things yeah. and take certain positions just by throwing a party for him. Because he's really impressed by the the, the party that China uh, hey, I think for. I think we have some audio of one of President Trump's last um, press conferences. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. Okay. Wow. Uh, it's good to be liked. Yeah. And that what these some of these uh, past like CIA leaders are saying is that maybe what he's got is he's either like afraid of, for example, Putin, mm-hmm. that he's not coming on strong for Putin or Putin's got something on him. So he doesn't want to doesn't no, want to. That's, that's all fake news. Or um, he just doesn't get he's kind of ignorant to the whole seriousness of this issue. And not even just to the United States, but to the world. We have now other elections that will go on in other countries. And if the U.S. isn't putting their foot down to stop Russia, then who should? Yeah, Yeah, just pushing back, saying we know what you did. Yeah. Instead of uh, just saying he said he didn't do it. What? What? You know, somebody else did something very similar to Trump over the weekend. What? Remember Joe Biden? Yeah, Joe. He was uh, doing some sort of a a speech. A veteran celebration? And, yeah. And uh, he kind of turned to the people and said, I don't know, what do you think? Should I run for president? Uh, and they yeah, got, yeah. Had, got a little reaction there, too. But the diff- I guess the difference is he's not the president. It's true. But he, very well could be. Joe would probably do that as president, too, because yeah. that's you know, the whole Uncle Joe persona. There was a one of the problems too when you go to these um, conferences is you have to don the garb that uh, is traditional garb for the country you're in. So President Trump has a lot of new looks. As I think Saturday Night Live called it, uh, what he wore in the Philippines, him and uh, President Putin, yeah, were uh, Hillary Clinton blouses. <laughs> 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 I mean, honestly, like I, I take pictures with people and um, sometimes you end up thinking, oh, I probably ought not take this one because this is just a weird backdrop or this is a weird. Yeah, you can just see how it turns yeah, out. This is just not going to go well. That's but, how I feel about my employee photo. Me too. I need to bring a new one. No, and I actually, yeah, you both should feel that way. <clears throat> Excuse me? Hey. <laughs> Anywho, just the employee photo is bad because now every time they try to recognize you in a meeting, that's the photo they're going to use. Oh, I'm not talking about the, the really nice one that they put out a lot of money for. I'm, I'm talking, talking about yeah. like the, the one uh, on your badge. No, the, well, that one's not. I'm not happy with that one either. The one that's by the uh, printer that everybody sees every oh, time yeah. they go to the printer. Oh yeah, that one too. Yeah. I look like I was beaten with a stick after I had gotten no sleep that night. Mm-hmm. Yes. After yeah. The definition of disheveled. Mm-hmm. You put the dis in shoveled. Good job. Um, so they're all kind of wearing their jammies. And then I yes. don't know if you saw this. Then they had the special handshake. Oh, the cro- they crossed their hands. Yeah. Everyone grabbed. So you have yeah. all the leaders and you're supposed to cross your hands. And I mean, it's confusing because yeah. it's not a normal custom. Right. But it's, I guess, for this conference, that is the way you take the picture. So you're left, you cross your left hand over your right arm and you hold the... You shake the hand of, ne- of the person next to you, and it got really confusing. And President Trump, like, struggled. That almost sounds like a move in the game Twister. 
It, it, it is. It almost is. They yeah. should have just put a board out. But, it but looks it's usually if, one where you pop a hip out. Like, I, don't, I don't know if the president has mobility to reach yeah, that far. Because he's Well, and these, like, these other leaders are – they're shorter leaders, yeah, maybe, as, as he pointed out. Well, that too, yes. Maybe if he – maybe stretched beforehand. Yeah. And he's got – he's um, – Used a foam roller of some kind. <laughs> he's – so he Loosen had a harder a time. He's taller, so he had to kind of bend down. Anyway, um, he's representing us well. Then he went to Viet- he went to Vietnam and yep. got got to where no, he went with uh, yeah to Vietnam, but then got to hang out with Duterte. That's who, in the Philippines, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, he was wearing a different colored yeah jammy top. And, lots of um, jammy tops. Just yeah, lots of pajamas. Do you think he's bringing those home? Oh no, this week. <laughs> okay. I mean, he might. I mean, maybe Melania would be like, whoa. He yeah. really looked he, – he, you know, he reminded me of like a dentist. Yeah. Or to, maybe – Who just wears, someone, wears his casual slacks and so, that one. Someone taking a pottery class at the community center. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Need a smock of some kind. Eh? Let's, hey, where's my smock for some painting? Um, I'm making some pottery tonight. Uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else is going on around the country? As we've been talking about, the president's still on his historically long Asia trip. He'll be in the Philippines today and Tuesday for bilateral meetings with President Duterte and to attend the the, as the ASEAN Summit in Manila. Awesome. There, I think it's like ASEAN. ASEAN. So some uh, business... Economic trade corporate thing. President Trump ignored shouted questions about human rights abuses as he met with President uh, Rodrigo Duterte. I can never say his name. In Manila, remember he's the one that has encouraged uh, executions of drug dealers in the streets and people follow through with that. He's got some humanitarian issues. Uh, Trump is scheduled to arrive back in the White House Wednesday evening. So set your clocks Wednesday evening. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So about three more days. Yeah. We'll get all the tweets back on our time. Any more stop? I mean, I would love to see one more top if we could get one more top. We'll in. see. We'll see what his wardrobe can handle. Uh, before leaving Vietnam on Sunday, President Trump posted a series of bombastic tweets, taking full advantage of Twitter's newly expanded character limit. Reflecting on uh. his meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin the day before, Trump decried those who oppose his diplomatic goals. When all the haters and fools out there realize that having a good relationship with Russia is a good thing, not a bad thing. There will always be playing politics, bad for our country. I want to solve North Korea, Syria, Ukraine, terrorism, and Russia can greatly help. Wow. Haters and fools. Okay. And then as we talked about, uh, he goes, why would Kim Jong-un insult me by calling me old when I would never call him short and fat? Although you just did. Yeah. Okay. So. Wow. I'd never call you that. And then he called him that. I'd never call you short and fat pudgy, little man. Wow. You know. So it's almost over. He's almost home. Wednesday. It's been nice for like like domestic news. Yeah. It's been a lot calmer. He's been busy. He's been preoccupied that way. I mean, he has been paying attention. He oh, yeah. Commented on the shootings in Texas. Yeah, he's all over it. So speaking of those uh, shooting red roses and first name grace, 26 empty chairs in that church house. Yeah, this is this is a Texas. beautiful tribute they've put together. Voices about faces read aloud verses from scripture. Um the entire place painted white, yep. the, the chapel, all the holes fixed. It's just pristine. It's perfect. It's white. And the chairs are in the places where they died. They opened the church up. There were tours, which included ones for reporters and photographers, came just before sundown Sunday, one week after 25 people gunned down. Church officials who earlier suggested that nearly 100, the 100-year-old building would come down said no decision had been made on whether to demolish it or give it new life. And they turned the... Uh, 
the sanctuary, they they, clean, they cleansed it of the violence, yeah. and they were able to turn it into a remembrance for those who had fallen. There. And by the way, like all the roses are red, but one rose for the baby that died mm-hmm. is pink. It's just, it's a, honestly, it's a beautiful tribute, but. I bet it. Can you imagine how haunting it would just be to? Well, then and the, you hear the voices of the people right. that were participating in past um, services. Services, there. yeah. And then the problem is that turns into a tourist attraction as people drive by and go, "That's where it happened." So oh yeah. They need to. That's where they're thinking. Maybe knock it down. Do something else. Hmm. But we'll see. Uh, and finally, we talked before about China. They have a space station. Yeah. That is returning to Earth. And not in a controlled fashion, more of a crash and burn situation. Like you mean, like careening? Yes, as Newsweek put it, the out of control space station is going to crash into the Earth. Oh boy! But the date and location, the the date and location of said crash has been somewhat of a moving target as weeks roll by. Now researchers are zeroing in on where it will likely land and becoming more certain about timing too. Researchers have known for months that the station is going to hit the Earth at some point. Uh, it was reported between January or February of 2018. Now they're thinking more February. Oh. It's all about decaying orbits. And, I you better know, not, I have stuff. a date night that month. It better not hit near <laughs> my date night. The European Space Agency uh, estimate, uh, they suggest, through estimates, that the spacecraft could land after it burns its way through the atmosphere in many places in Europe and U.S., including cities like L.A., New York, Miami, sometime what? in February. So they're giving you like, eh, if, Sometime in February and then across thousands of miles. So mm. there's your guess. Well, they've narrowed it down. Yeah. So what they're saying is it's going to come back to Earth. Yeah. It may hit stuff. Wow. So, so look up. You know, if I you guess. live in those areas, well, I'd, I'd maybe leave town during February. Not just those areas, but areas in between also. This might just be a debris field. So yeah. just make sure to use that as an excuse for why you were late for work that day. Yeah. Holy, you you will not, I almost hit a space station. Yeah, but that was in L.A. Yeah, but I, I, the, the, it was a traumatic One of the experience. wheels from the space station. That's yeah. crazy. But You'd think it, that it would be, you know, a little more controlled. Well, get, once it starts bouncing off the atmosphere. Yeah, I hate that. The pieces start mm-hmm. falling off randomly. It's hard, hard to guess when that's going to happen. Yeah. They, it's almost like they needed to think that one through. Yeah, but I guess they were in the process of thinking that through when they lost control. They have no connection to it. Yeah. Then you're like, why don't you shoot it out? But then if you shoot it out of the sky, then there's more debris. So it's kind of I don't you know the big problem I think is there's just way too many humanities degrees. Hmm. Is that what it you is? need more science degrees. They need to get more Ed, STEM. They need to get Ed Harris and Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon on that one. Yeah, they'll take care of it. Yeah, nothing like three actors to help bring down a space station. <laughs> Don't you wonder if the, if the three of them combined could do anything? Like, I'm sure the three of them com- combined could either figure out a... Pro- they, they could uh, make another movie, incredible movie. True, or between the three of them, they could figure out how many links they can create to get to six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah. By the way, just saying bacon in the morning, I think, is very appropriate. Mm. Yeah. So a space station out there, folks, it yep. could drop at any time. Well, in February. In February. Yeah. And, and in any place along a U.S. A U.S. Along the U.S. trajectory. I just find it ironic, too, that they're going to land their trash in the U.S. Well. I wonder if that had anything to do with the last – the trip with President Trump recently. They can't really aim. Yeah, that's what you so, say, but – yeah. If they could aim it, I don't know what they would. I mean, the would. Chinese are brilliant people. They, they may shoot for the ocean. That would be the smart move, but. You'd think. Yeah. You'd think the ocean would be the easiest thing to hit. There's more of that than land, so. Right. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> I just thought that was a little uh, concerning, but no, it's, I think it's a get lot. Get that concerning. public service out there. <laughs> now you've now people are going to be going crazy. We'll know more as it gets closer. We we'll, we'll maybe zero in, in on a date yeah. for you, but yeah. And you, you know it's your date night. You know it's just going to happen. I have no doubt it's going to land in the roof, through the, my roof and ceiling of my date night. It's like back in June when I heard the, you know, I fully established here's the release date for the new Star Wars movie. Yeah. It's December 16th, 15th, right that weekend. Right. And my family was going to plan a Christmas party that day on that Saturday, which of course they did. Well, now you can just tell them, I've got a work party. I've got to go. Well, the best part is now we have babysitters because they're having a party. So we're just going to send the kids mm. to the party and we're going to go to the movie. That's, oh, that's perfect. A, that's a great That's going to go over really well with your family. That's what I thought. They volunteered. So. Hold on. So oh. they just dropped their kids off? Wait, where'd they go? <laughs> hey, I watched a Thor movie. And? Which one? Nah, overrated. Which one? I don't know. The Wait. one with the long blonde-haired guy. Say what you just said again. I'm not. I'm not. I didn't watch the new one. There's three of them. Which one did you watch? I'm trying to find it. What but, happened? Oh, you didn't watch Thor Ragnarok. No, I want was to he, see that. Was he trying to pick up his hammer? Yes. In the desert, his hammer was stuck. That's the first one. Yeah. 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 You can. You can. It's okay to not like that one as much. Not many people did. I'm wondering if I should watch the next one. No, skip it. Uh, that's the one I skipped. That is that is. Yeah, you told me to as, skip one. It's so. seen as the worst of these twenty-five some odd Marvel movies that have been made. Really? Yeah. It's right. Not, right on par that. with that Hulk movie. They don't even like really. Yeah. They don't happen. acknowledge. Yeah. I'm not going to watch that. Thanks a lot, Edward Norton. You watch the first one, you get kind of the feel of where he came from. I mean, he's who a his nice family guy. Is. He's very charismatic yeah. for a god, Thor. Of you get the lightning. idea of what he's supposed to do with this hammer. It's kind yeah. Of, kind of interesting that way. Yeah. Hammer time. You meet his brother. <laughs> Kind of a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Hammer toe, we call him. His father just kind of sits on a throne. Pardon? Yeah. He sits on a massive throne. Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Oh, an actual throne. He's up there saying, I'm Odin, the yeah. All-Father. Now, aren't you named after Thor? Um, there's some translations that take my name that direction. Sure. In what language? Probably Swedish Norwegian, Viking era sort of languages. Were you a Viking? You come from, I mean, I come from Italian Greek. Yeah. I'm from Lots that. of culture, lots of great food. Yeah. You're more Viking. Sure. You can see my lack of a tan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And I, you'd have a great beard, I could see. Yeah. Well, please tell me you made it to the part where he's sitting on the throne and he says, Hello, Thor. Did you bring some Chianti and fava beans? I did hear that. I thought... He didn't, I thought that was a weird. He didn't say that. I thought that was a weird <laughs> part of the. And he was wearing that mask. Oh yeah, they do, they rolled him in on a dolly. You were a bit scared. Just admit it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Did you notice the fake New Mexico town they destroyed? What was that fake? Yeah, they built it in the desert. Did they really? Yeah, they got corporate sponsors so they can build their fake store in the desert and get their. But yeah. New Mexico there, has right? great tax credits. Why didn't they just take advantage of that? It was it was it was an interesting show. Okay. You just said you didn't like it. It well, was overrated. I've watched it multiple times. I've, I enjoy the show. I, I also realize yeah. it's not the best. I fell asleep for a bit. Yeah. But I was having a really long day. When, so, the, hmm. when the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. showed up, were you a little bit excited yeah, that well, way? Yeah, that was weird. Hawkeye was uh-huh. hanging out in the rafters. Did you see that? Yeah, Hawkeye almost killed him. Okay. We got our new movie theater put in by my brother this weekend. We watched the entire Back to the Future trilogy. Really? And I realized it's not as fun of an experience if you sit there trying to uh, tear apart all of the kind of plot holes in it. Yeah. It's just better to sit back and turn your brain off a little bit. 
Yeah, that's why I don't ever look for a plot <laughs> or plot holes. I am now looking for a space station. Yeah. Every day. Just look up. Just look, look up. up the entire date night. You'll see it's coming in February. Coming to a theater near you in the I greater L.A. area. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. Hopefully it's not a theater it lands on. Hey, uh, straight ahead, we're going to be talking with Joe Cannon about uh, all things political. Joe is our uh, Washington insider. Joe in the know, we call him. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you get through this crazy thing called Monday. It's Monday, folks, which means it's time for uh, Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider. Uh, at least politically, he, he knows people that know people. And he just so happens to be in Washington, D.C. today. Uh, we like to have him on the show to pick his brain, to find out what he thinks about you know what's going on. Also, what he's hearing through the grapevine. Joe Cannon, thanks for being with us, my friend. Thanks for having me, Matt. How's, uh, how's D.C. going without the president in town? I don't know. I, I didn't get here till midnight last night, so I'll find out today. Uh, yeah, yeah, you'll see. I bet it's going to be really calm and relaxed. Everyone's just getting their energy back up for a few days from now when the president's back. Talk to us about what what you think uh, with the summit in Asia. And, I mean, there's a lot of talk today about um, Trump basically saying he believes Putin when he says when Putin says I didn't do anything with your elections Trump saying I really believe that uh, when, when he tells me that that he means it <laughs> uh, I know you were gonna ask me that question <laughs> I don't know how to react to it I mean uh, I guess they're uh, on a serious side of course Putin what is Putin gonna say I'm sorry yeah. I, I interfered in your election and uh, the other side is Trump going to say, "You dirty, rotten scoundrel! You know, uh, you know, you interfered in our elections." I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think a better answer would have been, uh, well, you know, let's just say we, we've yeah. got an investigation going. You know, I mean, well, but we've got all of these, you know, past uh, NSA, CIA leaders all out there saying that, of course, he's done something. Of course, he's involved at some level, and. But the president may be compromised in a way that he's either he either doesn't get the magnitude of what's going on here or he doesn't. He's afraid uh, or he's just so desiring to to please Putin that he won't take him on is historically. Is that the role of a president? Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, maybe fill me in. Are there times where they go and they take people on like would would Barack Obama go take on Putin at this conference? Well, I mean that's a really good point, Matt. Uh generally speaking, the only time I can think of and there there have to be other cases of this but you know, you know Ronald Reagan walked out of the Reykjavik uh summit with Gorbachev. He just huh. kind of walked out and said, you know, we're putting up a uh, 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 missile defense, and and we're we're going to go forward, and there's really no point in talking anymore. And of course, that did jog that the whole U.S.-Soviet relationship right. significantly. I, I think if you put it, I mean, who knows exactly what's going on in anyone's mind? But when you look at overall this overall uh, trip, Asian trip, the, the president was very bent over backwards to be kind to. 
uh, Abe, uh, the, the Chinese, uh, the Japanese, mm-hmm. then the then the South Koreans, then the Chinese. Uh, it was all, uh, you know, let's let's be pals kind of a thing, and the interaction with with Putin was very limited. So, I mean, it's not like they, they, they did not themselves have a summit like the other leaders. Right. So my guess, my guess is this is just kind of a charm tour uh, on our side, by President Trump's side, to uh, look, we are, we're all in this together, uh, mostly focusing on North Korea. We're all in this together. Uh, let's work it out. I mean, and, and the president even said, things about trade that surprised people yeah. uh, with with China. So, you know, I, I guess I'm chalking it up to, you know, there everyone's trying to be friendly on this on this uh, tour. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a good I, point. I a good there, point. There is an investigation going on. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. The, the, things are happening. And, but President Trump, kind of, he did walk it back hit that earlier comment a little bit when he said that um, he, he does believe his uh, he says, uh, as to whether I believe Putin or not, I'm with our agencies, especially as our agencies are currently constituted. So when our agencies are saying that he's he, they're involved and Russia's doing something, he is going to believe his agencies. But then uh, it's interesting, like you were bringing up with China, he he had a really interesting statement that. He doesn't blame China for taking advantage of the trade policies. He really blames past administrations. It's, it's Some of this is – and we talked about it on the show last week – that maybe this is just Trump. Trump's OK throwing anybody under the bus that's not in the room necessarily. And even then he's OK doing that every once in a while. But um, is is it a weird politics to throw – to be in Asia talking to uh, about China but throwing past administrations under the bus? Oh, well, I don't know whether it's okay or not. I mean, he clearly wants to differentiate himself from almost anybody in the past, with the possible exception of Ronald Reagan, where he tries to, uh, he, he, I think he admired, admired Reagan. But um, no, he clearly, especially overwhelmingly, wants to differentiate himself from Obama. So President Obama, so what you're looking at is, in a lot of these specific things, he's going exactly the opposite. Hmm. Of the way Obama does, so he—I don't think he regards this as a quote apology, an apology tour at all. Yeah, uh, but but he is trying to say that if there are past problems, past defects, that's because my predecessors didn't know what they were doing, or you know, kind of that that attitude. Okay, and that that's pretty clear in in the uh, in the case of that China yeah. comment. What do you think? Um... Kind of coming back to well, I guess while we're out there in Asia, let's bring up one more. Um, what yeah. do you what do you think about the president's comments? I guess when he was finally um, off of the Korean Peninsula and got to Vietnam, he then made the comment. He tweeted out the comment about the fact that he doesn't know why Kim Jong Un was calling him an old man because he would never call him short and fat. Um, uh, okay, I mean, I, I, I always make you try to explain Donald Trump to me, but um, I know you keep doing that. I know, I, 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 I know you can't. I know you can't. So, I, give me some context. Have you ever heard of a president ever referring to a fellow leader, even of the worst ilk, um, as short and fat? 
No, but of course he didn't refer to him. He said he wouldn't refer to him. That's right. Yeah, he back. made that clear point that he <laughs> he wouldn't do that. Is I mean, is it that would that would be wrong? Oh, Joe, are we are we embarrassed? I mean, should we be embarrassed by that? To me, I, that's what I teach my kids not to do. Right? We we teach them not to say things or infer things like that. Should should this be embarrassing or should we say, oh, see, our president's so strong. He's being tough. Oh, boy, I don't think you should say that. Uh, it, it's sort of awkward for, you know, not for me personally, but for lots of, for a lot of people. I would just say this, kind of where I'm coming in my own mind. Yeah. I don't know what this means for anything is that President Trump is who he is. He's just who he is. And what you really need to do is look at what he's doing, what actually is happening at the end of the pipe. And and if you like that, then that's good. And if you don't like that, then that's, you know, good, too. I mean, it's it's, it's I don't know that we there's nothing that's going to change Donald J. Trump's personality, I don't think. Mm. Uh, although I, I have to say, in this trip, aside from some of these things you just mentioned, he seemed pretty presidential. Yeah. He seemed, uh, you know, I, I was kind of I I loved his talk uh, to Korea. Yeah, did, uh, South, South Korea. So that was a that was a very Reagan esque talk. And, is, is that uh, when he said, you know, I I fight for my trade policies, and I think all of you should be fighting just as strong as I am for my for your country. Is that that same talk? That, I think that was the same talk. And yeah, that was great. But that's where he also where he where he said, "Look, uh, but we are all in this together as allies. Hmm. You're our allies. You you fought and bled. We fought and bled in the Korean War. I mean, it was, it was a really good talk. Um, so you know, I guess what I'm coming to is I, I can't I can't really think about some of the things he says. And he is who he is. He's a guy from Queens, New York, and uh, he loves that. He luxuriates in that and you know, all I can do is say, look, from my from my perspective, you know, he appointed Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. He, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of things that I think are pretty good. So, I just have to say, you just take the whole package and you look at what actually comes out of the end of the meat grinder that it actually affects <laughs> public policy. And I would just say, judge that. If some people like, I have plenty of friends who think that Neil Gorsuch is the worst thing that ever happened in America. But you, you can separate the stuff that he actually does from the stuff he says. And you, you, I don't know if he'll be fine, but yeah. uh, that, well, that's how I've, how I've kind of reconciled it in my mind. Well, that, and I guess, I guess that's the key, too. And you can, you can actually probably do both, where you cannot appreciate some of the language he uses and appreciate some of the work he does. And he's the president, so... You, I mean, he is what he is. That's a great way to kind of look at it. He's He is what he is. Uh, speaking of meat grinder, um, and if we come back to the United States, Democrats won a landslide. Apparently, they're calling it a landslide in Virginia, but they I guess they won most of the races in Virginia, including the gubernatorial race and um, and uh, some of the other state races there. What do you think? Was that was that like, a you know, was that the canary in the in the mine shaft? Is it a sign that? The GOP is losing its grip. It could be. I, I mean, uh, it's the the government. First of all, you didn't mention New Jersey, but I would just say I wouldn't even consider New Jersey is a totally blue state. It's an anomaly that there's a Republican governor right now hmm. with Chris Christie, who happens also to be the least popular governor in, in America. So I, I, I don't read anything into New Jersey. Virginia is a different story. I, I, by the way, I don't read anything into the gubernatorial race there. 
because, you know, in the last, since 2000, I think there have been seven Democrats and in the Reagan era, I guess, there have been seven Democrats and three Republicans uh, governors. Wow. So that's that's not a big anomaly. And also, by the way, you know, Clinton took uh, Virginia by a significant amount. It's clearly a state moving into the, you know, uh, red to purple to magenta to blue. The biggest thing, though, is is that since 2000 and maybe since a little earlier, the House of Delegates has been controlled and significantly by the Republican Party. So before this election, there were 66 Republicans in the House of Delegates and only 34 Democrats. Now it's at least 50-50. There are a bunch of recounts, so I, we don't know. But right now, as it says, 50-50, that is an enormous switch. And uh, not all of those were in just urban areas. I mean, some, some of those are in you might call Trump districts. But uh, so I, I think that is, a, is something of a canary uh, in the coal mine. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I and I guess um, the one of the things we're, we're maybe seeing here is you you might have to choose to either embrace Trump or run away from him. But you can't you can't be on the fence. Is that what happened with Gillespie is he kind of embraced his policies but never had Trump come be there for him. And so he didn't get the benefit of either side of it. Yeah. I don't know. There's this huge, old, very tired cliche that all politics is local. Yeah. Uh, in, in, the, in, in Virginia, you really had to run just to, if you're a Republican, you have to run this razor's edge because Virginia really is two and then some people think three states. And one of those three states is Northern Virginia, which is overwhelmingly Democrat. And to win statewide, you've got to chip away at that. And of course, the highest concentration of people who hate Donald J. Trump are all within about 10 miles of Washington, D.C. And so uh, I should have looked up. I don't know what Fairfax County gave Trump, but it's probably a little bit better than the District of Columbia, which went 90 six percent uh for clinton hmm. so when, when you're running a statewide race in virginia boy you've got you know you've got uh it's fairfax county you've got richmond you've got the rest of the state it's really hard so I, I don't know what you learn out of that from this particular race i i know trump the the, uh, the trump folks think well if you'd really run all in for trump it would have been different uh, i don't i don't know yeah Ed Gillespie is a very smart guy politically, um, but he clearly he clearly tilted away from Trump, both not just in his his uh, public statements, but in the people he hired. They were all not all a very significant number of the people he hired as consultants and workers were not only not Trump, they were hashtag never Trump. Hmm. So there, there's grist in there for, for uh, everyone's story, but I I I, I wouldn't make that takeaway just from Virginia. Right. Uh, again, by the way, we're speaking with Joe Cannon. Joe in the know, we call him. He is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization trying to lower fuel costs across the United States. And we like to just pick his brain because he knows people and he knows things and he's been in this and at this for a while. Joe, what about uh, Roy Moore? Boy, um, Alabama uh, judge, uh, of, I guess the Alabama Supreme Court judge, I guess, that's running for Senate to replace uh, Sessions 
is but now he's you know now there's allegations that he was he sought after relationships with underage uh women teenagers in fact um when he was a 30 something prosecutor where do you see this going is this i mean this is this seems like not what you want in a race where you can't have the senate turn well, I think as it stands right now, there's a highly high likelihood that there's going to be a Democrat senator oh, from Alabama, which yeah. would be anomalous beyond anomalous. I mean, it's one of the truly reddest, deepest red states in in the country. And be, if you ask anybody three months ago, well, what are the chances there'd be a Democrat? People would laugh and say, "Why are we talking? You can't even take that question seriously." Yeah. But now, now it is serious because I don't know. Well, I do know how I feel, and and that is, I don't care what the actual law is. That's bizarre behavior. He may or may not have broken a law, uh, but he's certainly broken any kind of code. I mean, I'm just thinking as a right. dad with daughters, as a human, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there's this thing. I mean, the, the the you know he's pushing back, and others are saying, "Well, you're innocent until you're proven guilty." No. That's in a court of law where 12 jurors are making a very narrow legal assessment. Is, is, uh, you know, is it clear that this person is guilty or not guilty in a very tight framework of rules and laws and procedure? I don't think any adult dad of a daughter would think that that was a permissible activity. Um, if it's true now, they're pushing back and saying, well, it's not true now. His denials are very vigorous. But honestly, first, there were very limited denials. Then on the Hannity, to me, the thing was the Hannity interview, which was surprising and refreshing that, that Hannity really went after him. And he said, well, I mean, honestly, if your first answer to a question is that wouldn't be consistent with my behavior yeah. or my pattern, I'm, I'm going, huh? wow, that's not only not in a dial, that sounds a lot like an admission to me. <laughs> uh, so I, I the, 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 there, there are the human elements of what, what, what is Roy Moore going to do? And we already know what he's going to do. Now he's, he's doing what almost everybody does. Is he's threatening to sue. Yeah, he's digging uh, in. Yes. Well, but you can sue tomorrow if you want. You can file a complaint tomorrow. Right. He's got, he's, you still have a month till the election. There won't be any outcome, but there would be a filed case. And I, I, maybe that will happen, but it doesn't sound like something like a threat. Uh, but in any case, he can't get off the ballot. So the, part of this doesn't matter. I mean, my my solution, if I, you know, if he would listen to me, would be, uh, look, I'm I'm on the ballot. I can't get off the ballot. Elect me, and I'll resign right after, and we can choose another person hmm. rather than just throw it. If you, rather than just throw it to the Democrat side, which is what he's now, I think, doing. Um, the other thing is to have a write-in campaign, but that is so hard. It's very hard. Like, you know, you can get away with it in a state like New Mexico has had successful write-ins. Alaska has, but they're very low-population states. Oh, wow. I, I still see how a – No, a that's – this, honestly, but I, I doubt that there's ever been a write-in in, uh, mm-hmm. in Alabama. Since it's, we – we, yeah, You know, I uh, dot, 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 all this equals – a Democrat senator from Alabama. Yeah. What uh, really quick talk. Uh, what about taxes? Taxes is supposed to happen this week, I guess. OK, I'm, just, I'm sorry. To be, we should have talked more about that. Getting getting to taxes. 
uh, I think there's going to be a House bill this week. Uh, it's very interesting. Unlike Obamacare, what you've seen is the, the speaker is not making a lot of compromises with the people who are dissenting. I think he thinks he's got 218 votes and he's going to go. Wow. And get it, get it, get it passed. Uh, there are people make a lot about the differences between the House and the Senate bill. I mean, as you know, just as our listeners know, so the House passes a bill, then it goes to the Senate, the Senate passes a bill, they go to, they go to conference, and everybody's going to go, wow, there are these big differences. But I just looked at a list of the differences, and I'm not saying they're not, that they're all trivial, but some of them are pretty trivial, like the child tax credit in the House bill is $1,600, and the child tax credit in the Senate bill is 1650 Hmm. I think they could probably compromise on that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that'll uh, be done. Yeah, there, there's some bigger. There's some some that are a little bit bigger, but I mean, they're all. It's a. It's not like black and white. It's like the number of tax brackets in the House is four. The number of tax brackets in the Senate is seven. You know, there's like a percent difference in the top rate. Uh, there's a difference in when the corporate tax rate reduction starts. Is it this year or is it in 2019? I mean, there. These are not uh, unbridgeable gaps. Bearing in mind, they all have to come in at 1.5 trillion. I mean, that, that's the that's the boundary here. Yeah, um, and they got to do that so, so they can. So it's a 50 a 50 vote, right? Right. Not, right. Yeah. So it comes in, in the budget process. Yeah. Oh wow. So I I, th- I think that um, uh, in in both houses they they feel pretty confident. And these these details, I mean, one of the details is pretty big, the state and local tax deduction, uh, because that really does hurt blue states quite a bit. And so a lot of the House members that are opposing this are from blue states. And in the the House bill, it does pervert, preserve a property tax deduction of up to 10000 hmm. but no other. And so there are lots of other state taxes. The Senate bill completely eliminates any state and local deduction. In that sense, it's actually more conservative than the House bill. But but anyway, just looking over, there are a whole bunch of, quote, differences. Some of them are very narrow. You know, the estate tax, uh, they both exempt up to $11 million per person. Uh, but in the House bill, it repeals that in 2024, and it doesn't repeal it in the Senate bill. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going on. Too do, much do you sense the point is, is that these are not these are not uh, the Grand Canyon? No, these difference. are these are doable. These are it seems like over or surmountable. Well, Joe, uh, appreciate your insight, man. Lots of stuff we covered today, and again, it's not easy to to answer a lot of these things because it's President Trump. You just don't know what the guy's thinking. But we appreciate you. Joe Cannon's his name. Go check out his website at uh, fuelfreedom.org. Uh, again, Joe's also back in D.C. right now doing what he can to lower fuel costs for those in the United States. Uh, probably a gift for all of us, really. Maybe a little Christmas gift, thanks to Joe Cannon. And we will continue the journey straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, um, politics is crazy, and you might be out there thinking, how could a state like Alabama, uh, you know, even keep pushing for a Roy Moore? But, 
you know, and everyone's got an angle, everyone's got uh, a position. But uh, we we found a really interesting poll that came um, uh, that we found on the hill dot com, and the poll basically states nearly half of white Southerners feel like they're under attack. Nearly half of white Americans living in the South feel like they're under attack, according to the Winthrop University poll. Forty-six percent of white Southerners said they agree strongly, said they agree or strongly agree that white people are under attack. More than three-fourths of the black respondents said they believe racial minorities are under attack. And 30 percent of all respondents in the poll agreed when asked if America needs to protect and preserve its white European heritage. So one of the things you may be seeing is – Again, and it might be a little bit what you saw with President Trump. It might be what you're seeing now going on with Roy Moore. Maybe people don't care the quality of the candidate as long as they're going to protect either the whites or the blacks of America. And so is it got, has it gotten to this point where really the person that protects our history and our uh, – I guess our our culture, our ethnicity – that's who we vote for regardless of what's gone on in their past. And again, I'm not, I don't want to judge what Roy – I don't know what Roy Moore has done. But if it involved an underage girl in any way, shape or form when you're a 30-year-old man, it can't happen. Like Joe said, as a father, that can't happen. Are we so caught up now in our politics that it's, it's all now just about race? Is that why we're OK looking at certain candidates today? And we probably ought to be careful. We, I think overall it's – there's so many other things going on in this world that to just only vote for somebody because they're Christian, um, even if they don't always act like it, or just because they're white doesn't mean um, we're probably getting the best candidates out there. So, you know, buyer beware, caveat emptor, right? Also uh, – Voter beware as well. We'll continue the discussion. Uh, This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143. consumer update for you folks. Uh, When you go to any big store, um, grocery store, you got to watch out. You got to watch your step. Right. Because you never know. Especially the produce. What you might step on in the produce section. There might be like a a tiny little grape you don't even see. That's true. And that boy, that thing's just a slippery slope. An Alabama man who said he tripped and broke his hip while buying a watermelon at a Walmart store has won a $7.5 million verdict Whoa. in his lawsuit against the retailer. Henry Walker on Wednesday was awarded the damages after a trial, uh, a jury trial in Alabama, just is just west of Georgia, so in that area. Uh, Walker had sued Arkansas-based Walmart, saying his foot became trapped in a pallet beneath the watermelons as he reached for one of the fruits at his local Walmart oh, no. back in June of 2015. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alabama newspapers report that when the then 59-year-old man turned back towards the shopping cart, he fell. Ooh. One of his lawyers said that Walker's days of playing basketball three times a week ended with the injury, which now requires him to use a walker. Walker's hmm. got a walker. They're saying, yeah. They're saying that the Walmart should have covered the pallet so that it, it could not entangle yeah. a shopper's foot. You've seen how they do that. Oh, yeah. It's a good point. They just wheel the pallet out, drop yeah. it in the middle. They have like a box or something that has watermelons on it. Full of watermelons, but they don't have to like take them out of the box. Yeah, it's probably just, simpler. Just cover it. 
Yeah. Is this one of those things where investigators are going to be watching him very carefully now, or can he do whatever he wants now that he has the money? Mm. That's a good question. Like, if, if it was, if uh, it, he's the whole got thing the was money. a prank, can he just throw the walker away and start doing jumping jacks and celebrating? Yeah, he won't do that, though. He sounds like a very But he's got the guy. money. So Walmart is saying it isn't dangerous. They have continued to have the wall, uh, watermelons on display in this way in all of their stores across the country. Yeah. One guy got hurt, so they're saying it's his fault. Oh, boy. Negligence on his part. Um, it says we... Well, but, he, but obviously it wasn't because they paid... Well, the the jury trial went against Walmart. Usually, the the big corporation loses because you hurt the individual. Well, and that guy gets to walk in with his walker, and That's everyone's right. like, "Aw, what?" It, it's it's a, <laughs> so you don't just have to watch out for the little grapes anymore. You also have to watch out for the big watermelons, and more importantly, the pallets. Pallets, they said, and Walmart says they plan to appeal. So this isn't over. Okay, more well, watermelon so they fallout. We'll be watching carefully. They're on it. Again, all of us, let's just be careful. Let's not look forward to a lawsuit. Let's instead just look to get through the produce aisle without a twisted ankle. Which, by the way, is coming from a man that twists his ankle on the hanky. Got very dainty ankles. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here with Jeff and Terry. The gang's all gathered. Happy Monday to you, by the way. And thank you for your Catherine Hepburn impersonation. Joining us today, Catherine Hepburn, coming back for a little visit. I won four Oscars. Catherine, how how do you see it on the other side? It's not as good. (laughs) I don't have Spencer Tracy here. Oh, yeah. We'll get back to uh, Catherine and uh, we'll find out who she does have there. That's straight ahead. Um, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, great news. President Trump, three more days on his Asian vacation slash. Now two and a half. Two and a half days. Some of that will be in the air, though, flying. You would think, yes. And boy, what a great deal to have that airplane because you could just sleep all the way home. How great. You know, you get on. Everyone else is just like. Now, it is a step down from what he's used to. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, he's taking a hit for yeah. the sake of public good. So, you know, nah. more on, good on him. It is, if you think about it, it's probably a safer flight than he's ever had. Oh, yeah. All the anti-missile defense yeah. systems aboard. Yes, absolutely. Anti-radiation right. paneling. Just not as opulent. Mm-mm. And he probably can't get his hamburger burnt exactly the way he wants it every time. I bet you he can. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah. It's probably the only thing that's on the airplane. Burnt hamburgers. Uh, anyway, he's he's coming back from Asia, which is, I think, uh, I mean, in two and a half days. Um, lots been done. Lots been accomplished. Some weird press, but we won't even get into that because we talked about it uh, last hour. He did end up calling somebody. We won't name the person. Uh, he inferred that he was short and fat. 
No, he said he he refrained from calling. Yeah, him he that. wouldn't. He wouldn't yeah. say he would say that. But but he replied that I won't call you short and fat. Very passive aggressive. Yeah, he might as well have said some people would call him short and fat, but yeah. I would never do that. No. I would never call you short and fat. Yeah, or shorty fatty. <laughs> never do it. Again, this is what got somebody beat up in grade school. Sounds like it. Yes. So let's not do that. Hmm. We don't want to go there. We could, um, we could, we could talk about what happened in football. Of course, the great Cougars won, which is great news. They pulled out a strong finish against um, UNLV. They boy, their running game was killing it. Uh, what's his name? Smalley. What's his name? Canada. Squally. Squally. Squally Canada. I'm like, Smalley? Oh, we're stuck on thinking, that again? No, Squally, Squally Canada. Smalley and Fatty. Who, who are you talking Squally about? Squally Canada had a great game. Hmm. We'll talk to the Sports Nation about that next hour. That's a big deal. Sad news for the receiver in um, the for the 49ers. Lost a baby and caught a, probably just one of the – just an amazing catch. He caught an 83-yard touchdown. He also wow. caught, he also had the key block that launched another guy for a forty seven yard touchdown. All I no one knew about this apparently. Oh really? It happened at four a.m. Sunday morning. Holy that his uh, preemie uh, son, prematurely born son, died, and he uh, just kind of held that held that to himself, held that news to himself, and mm. went out there and won. You had his name, Marquise there? Goodwin. Marquise Goodwin, and then he put out an Instagram post. Which is kind of what got me is your he put all this information in the Instagram post and the photo yeah. attached was of the small little hand oh. holding his finger mm. and it's just the size of this hand. I mean, it's, it's like, like like holding his finger. It's like a thimble sized hand. That's it's what like, he said. I just want to thank those who have genuinely prayed for Morgan and myself throughout this pregnancy. He wrote on Instagram. Unfortunately, we lost our baby boy due to some complications and had to prematurely deliver him early this morning around 4 a.m. Although we are hurt, I'm grateful for the experience and grateful that God blessed me with a wife as courageous and resilient as Morgan. The pain physically, mentally, and emotionally that she has endured is unbelievable. Please pray for the Goodwin family. Boy, and then he's got to go out and play the game. And he had a great game. Well, I think that's the thing is he probably didn't have to. Yeah, no, he didn't. But, boy, they needed him. Well, the 49ers had not won a game the all year. first win of their year, and, yeah, and a lot of it because of this great uh, player, Marquise Goodwin. How what cool. an amazing outlook, too. Yeah. How many people could say that they would be grateful for that experience? Oh, yeah. I mean, really, that's something That's something you you seem to figure out later in life about pain or when, you know, I guess maybe when you're going through it. But, really, that's happened Sunday night, and then he's playing a game Sunday day. Unbelievable. Well, we wish him the best, and our prayers will be with the Goodwin family as well, Morgan and Marquise. Uh, Let's get to the rest of the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? President Donald Trump on Sunday walked back his comments in which he suggested he believes Russian President Vladimir Putin's denials on election meddling over the assessment of the U.S. intelligence community. As to whether I believe it or not, I'm with our agencies, especially as currently constituted. Trump said in a press conference along with the Vietnamese president, making a clear distinction between the current and past leaders of those agencies. As currently led by fine people, I believe very much in our intelligence agencies. Trump came under scrutiny for saying that Putin's denials about meddling in the election. He goes, I really believe it when he tells me that he didn't do it and he means it. I mean, I believe believe Putin. I don't believe the Democratic ex-CIA people. They're just positioning themselves right. 
But I do believe the current intelligence agencies who aren't saying much. They've also kind of they've also confirmed this. They've sat in front of the Senate and said, they, "Yeah, did this happen?" They're like, "Yes, they did." You know, this happened yeah. in the last eleven months. So I mean, it's something's going. And that's actually probably a safer way to say it, right? If you're going to go stand next to Putin, yeah, it's safer to say it. <laughs> so he said way. it. There was some question, and someone talked to him about how he's throwing the intelligence agencies under the bus yet again. Hmm. He backed off his comments. So yeah, there's been a couple of those have the. You know, clarification type press yeah, conference. Yeah, you, you got to clarify some of those. Things. Never really with the president, though. Usually it's with Sarah Huckabee. Yeah. I think this is where she may end up with the same hairdo as her father after she leaves the administration. Really? Just pulling her hair out, trying to Just figure out how slowly. to twist this one around and get this Boy, issue back on track. Can you imagine a harder job in the White House? I mean, it's even harder than the president. Yes. Because the president obviously feels free to say anything he wants to. She, on the other hand, knows that uh, SNL is watching. Yes. And anything she say can and will be used against her and in does. a court of comedic Kellyanne Conway, another target of Saturday Night Live, yeah. occasionally spent several minutes Sunday morning refusing to say whether she believes the four women who have accused Alabama GOP Senate candidate Roy Moore of sexual misconduct, including one who was just 14 years old at the time. Again, Conway would only say to ABC News that Moore should step aside if the allegations are true. But mm. then towards the end of the conversation, she went a step further. If there's anyone currently in public office who has behaved that way to any girl or woman, maybe they should step aside. Yeah. That's a, this is, and, and this was, uh, Vice President Pence said a, a similar thing, right? That right. If th- this is a disqualifying uh, issue, if you've ever done something like this, you, you've officially disqualified yourself. And then it says at least th- – and Mitt Romney actually went a step further on Twitter last week saying that just the mere allegations have made it so it's kind of – the whole situation is kind of untenable. Mm. And here you're going to have a person that has these allegations connected with them that might win office. Yeah. And that just kind of pulls the whole party down. So Mitt Romney's like, you should just back out now. Boy. There's sort of a higher law, if you will. Yeah. Um, Conway went on and said, In a country of 330 million people, we ought to be able to do better than this. And then the article ended with, you know, at least 13 different women have accused President Donald Trump mm-hmm. of sexual mm. harassment. And does the standard apply? Does it not? I don't know. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is exciting. It's, yeah. It's the uh, the the tough part with with Roy Moore, as we talked about, is the elections coming up here mid December, I believe, to replace Jeff Sessions. Right. No time to get him out. Is he leaving it vulnerable that the seat goes away and then the the Senate has a two seat majority of Republicans? Does that come under? You know, is that is that out there? Is that a problem? So that's that's kind of the, the reason everyone's focused on this. Members of the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Spring, Texas, the site of last week's church shooting that killed 26 people, will will gather with hundreds of mourners. They did for a Sunday on Sunday for an outdoor memorial service. The church building, which may soon be demolished, is open as a memorial site. 26 empty chairs. Funeral for several of the victims were held over the past few days, Mm. as was the special Veterans Day ceremony on Saturday, as nearly half of those killed had ties to the Air Force. Maybe, said uh, County Judge Richard Jackson at the Veterans Day event, this will start the healing process that will get Sutherland Springs and Wilson County to put this horrific tragedy behind us and look to the future. Yeah. They took the uh, the inside of the church. They painted it white. Such a set up chairs. I, I think to it's, memorialize you got to heal, individual. right? You got to 
to let the people of the town get in there, feel the spirit there. That's powerful. It's tough because how do you? I mean, how do you move on from that? Well, and maybe four percent of your town died. Yeah, I mean, I guess the idea would be go. People would think let's go in and tear that building down, but there is some closure to be able to go in the building and then maybe tear it down in the future and mm-hmm. move on. You also don't want it to become, you know, the the site that everybody in Texas travels to. Sure. To awkwardly Point. bring up. Look, and you know they'll take tragedy. selfies. Yeah. Because selfies oh. follow. <laughs> not oh, really, yeah. Not no, really the selfie they place, go. but they yeah. will do it. Yeah. Now, this is a choose-your-own-adventure for the last story. Oh, excellent. Mm. Do you want holiday-themed food mm. that's being put on the shelves you can buy in your local store? Right, right. Or right. do you want uh, the fattest U.S. cities ranked or states ranked? Well, I don't see why we need to choose. Really? Okay. Why not do both? <laughs> so some of the uh, holiday-themed products that you'll start seeing on the okay. – I've actually seen these on the uh, the shelves on, yeah. on Sunday or Saturday when I was shopping. Pepsi's putting out salted caramel-flavored Pepsi. Hmm? Yeah. Really? So it's Pepsi. It's, called, it's a, described as an indulgent drink that blends the refreshing taste of cola with delicious caramel finish. Mmm. That cow seemed to like it. That doesn't sound very good. Okay, well. I mean. Really? Does it? Sounds great. I just don't like sugary drinks. Um, You so. like fake sugary drinks. No, I like no sugar drinks. I like diet drinks. So I like again, my drinks to have well, no taste fake sugar. and a little acidic Artificial kick. sweeteners, fake sugar that are in there that kind of preserve the taste. If not, you're just drinking like water with some syrup in it. By the way, I'll do that, too. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Mountain Dew gets into the holiday act with a holiday brew, as they're calling it. Oh, boy. Variety. It combines the flagship green Mountain Dew with its Mountain Dew Code Red. They just mix them. Wow. That's like a real Christmassy pleasure. Yeah. It actually has a photo here. Let me see. Yeah, it's 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 red. So. Oh, it's still red, even yeah. though they've combined green and red. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's just it's, red. It's, it's for Christmas. Yeah. That's what Santa's drinking. <laughs> That's how he stays up all night. That's exactly right. Uh, on the food side, PepsiCo, the company, bringing back holiday offerings including Lay's wavy potato chips dipped in chocolate. Now that is good. Now that's worth trying for sure. Cap'n Crunch's Christmas Crunch with red and green crunch berries. Uh, mm. Mouth grater, cheese yeah. grater, yeah. optional. Uh, Cheetos Snowflakes, which are a white cheddar flavored and come shaped like, well, snowflakes. Mm-mm. I mean, again, I'll try all of it. You will? Like twice. You're just not really interested in general? No. Do you think the snowflake Cheetos no, taste different? No, that sounds kind of gross. Really? Snowflake Cheetos? I think, I like think white chocolate cheddar. lays. White cheddar. It's different. Oh, it's white cheddar. No, that would be good. No, that would be I thought it. I thought it had something else on it. Okay, oh, yeah, that would well, be Well, I mean, it, it is something else. It's Cheetos. I, We're not exactly but sure But I like my is. fingers to go, fingertips to be orange after eating Cheetos. I understand. Sure. But it's holiday. It's a special occasion. That's a good point. Uh, and and this is National Diabetes Awareness Month, apparently. Oh boy! So of course that's the, good. They they come up with the list. Wallet Hub, yeah, has a. They're looking at it in the sense that um, what's the number here? There's 19. It says that determine which states to contribute to most to America's overweight and obesity problem. They're they're saying that Americans spend nearly two hundred billion per year on obesity related health costs. Wow. That's why Wallet Hub was looking at this. By the way, so, didn't Jeff? Didn't you have a Wallet Hub? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I also thought it was a Wallet Hug. Yeah, that was weird. 
Yeah. So they look at 19 key metrics. They range from a share of overweight and obese population to sugary beverages, consumption among adolescents to obesity-related healthcare costs. Yeah. Right. So, so all across the board. You just did the first story. Yeah. About all Lots the sugar, sugar and yeah. then now you're about to tell us where all That's the. That's why I was where, asking. Okay. You wanted them both. I just they thought, do fit. Maybe we should have done them in reverse there, order. There is a theme here. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and, and I think this—they're trying to create awareness, but it might turn into shaming. Yeah. Just because now we're going to name the fattest states in America. Okay, this is scary. Now, this is always and the And by the way, part. we mean no offense. No offense. This is fact-based. This is from Wallet. That's Did you say Chubb. fat-based? Fact. Oh, okay. F-A-C-T. Fat. So, Matt. Fact-based. Where would you see the fattest state being? Well, I would think certain states... Uh, you know, I feel bad because I don't want to name a name and be wrong, but mm. I would say a southern state because okay. they've got probably the best food in America. Okay. It's a safe answer. And um, it always seems to be Mississippi. But um, so I might go with Mississippi. Okay. But it's going to be a southern state because they have Cajun. Okay. Well, mm. um, let me tell you. Yes. Uh, you're absolutely correct. It's Mississippi. Is it Mississippi? Ah, it's what? always Mississippi. I always feel bad for Mississippi. Yeah. But boy, they got they got good food down there. So yeah, Mississippi followed by West Virginia, Tennessee, Arkansas, Louisiana. Yeah, there's something about the South. <laughs> it is the food. It really is. So They've got your... fry. Everything's fried and everything's finger licking good. Now the top states for the highest percentage of obese adults. Right. Uh, so okay. you have highest fattest percentage. states. Okay. That's taking the highest entire population of obese adults. Now, just adults. I'm still going to just say the South. States, but uh, and I always thought like that Alaska might because you know it's harder to get out and exercise half the year. And but uh, I guess I'm going to just say Mississippi still. Louisiana number one, really the obese most obese adults, adults. followed by Mississippi, okay. Alabama, yeah. West Virginia, yeah. Arkansas. Same states, just reordered. Yeah. They also have a lot of um, tailgating parties, and you have uh, for children. Obese children, Mississippi, Texas, West Virginia, Kentucky, and a tie, Louisiana, and Rhode Island for number five. Really? Now, well, for your least fat states. Oh, boy. These are the ones I don't like. I don't like these people. Who, who are the super healthy ones? Well, it's going to be Denver, uh, if I'm a betting man. Cal- okay. uh, not California, but uh, Denver, Boston, or Massachusetts, hmm. Utah. In the top ten, probably. why Massachusetts? Because they're always way up there in okay. health. What about Washington State, Seattle? Maybe, maybe, maybe Portland. Uh, but Denver for sure, Colorado. So they give the the number one least fat state is Colorado. See how followed just, by Massachusetts. Oh my heavens! And Utah. Are you serious? I swear I have not seen this, but hmm. those are just that's just how these things roll out. Utah and Colorado tied for second with lowest percentage of adults with high blood pressure. Utah scored number two for lowest percentage of adults with type two diabetes. That see that still surprises me because uh I know a lot of Utahns. <laughs> and we too like Cheetos. Absolutely. Hmm. Any other states after that? Just they didn't give the rest of the list, okay. but yeah. Oh my heavens. Well, okay, so two stories there, folks. You can choose your poison. You can sugar up with some new products and then uh, feel bad about how your state ranks when it comes to all that sugar. Yeah. It's a good it's a good point. <laughs> uh, let's get really quickly and maybe do a few of our uh, empty news headlines with Jeffrey Liam Simpson, our anchor. 
The MT News Team, first on the scene, fifth on facts. Well, you guys mentioned this already, so we've got to start off with this one. The Arizona home painted in 100 colors. Yes. We've got somebody that's uh, doing a renovation next door before they, you know, they're doing a flip, then they're selling it. So my wife has been paying very close attention to what's going on, not just for the value of our home, but we're interested to know who's going to move in and what they're doing with the house. And luckily, they're not doing what this man is doing. Colorful is one word that can be used to describe a Peoria, Arizona home. The homeowners uh, used one about 100 colors to paint the home, and it's not the first time he has done something like this. I've been interested in artwork for 10 years, said homeowner Ernest Leas. I get interested in the stuff I see around Phoenix. I'm not really making any kind of statement, but... It's back to a clean sheet of paper, trying to come up with new ideas, but not sure not sh- not sure what I will do yet. Hmm. Uh, Ernest said the neighbors love his paint job, but one neighbor offered a rather scathing review. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Certainly childish. We are all adults. He's doing it to irritate everyone. It's a hundred colors. This is Harry uh, Domas or Domas. No artistic quality. And he is doing it to irritate everyone. He doesn't think it's pretty. No artistic quality there. He knows it. Sounds like a Trump tweet. Yeah, that, he's like putting him down immediately. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, let's see. Uh, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think this guy, this neighbor is getting a Christmas card? No. The one that's giving the scathing review? No. He's going to get wassled. I'm guessing he's either not going to get a Christmas card or he's going to get a Christmas card that's full of multicolored confetti that just <laughs> but he'll gets love everywhere. It. Don't you think he'll love that? He'll just love it. This is a guy that knows how to live life. Have you ever been able to successfully find every piece of confetti once you open up one of those cards? No. Yeah. You it's know, over then. Yeah, one's just you have stuck to, move. to your foot the you rest have to move. of the day. But you know, too, that this is the same guy that used all 300 colors out of his Crayola crayon set. <laughs> This is the guy. Just melted him down and mm-hmm. slathered him on the house. Just, yeah. I mean, you got to – it's a lot of work to put 100 colors on. It's easier to just go with one. So the guy obviously, you know, is is a go-getter. Okay. Well, here's another story that uh, doesn't sound like anything we've ever done before on okay. the show. Cool. A suspected burglar in the UK was going nowhere after he got himself stuck in a ventilation system for seven hours. Hold it. We've done this story. No, no, no. We've never done it. I'm pretty sure we've done this about a million times. The hapless man tried to gain entry into a chicken fast food restaurant by crawling through an open vent at 2 a.m. Far from making a quick getaway, the man found himself stuck and calling out for help. Yeah, you don't remember us doing this story? A member of the public spotted his legs dangling in the air and called uh, the police. A police officer was sent to the scene and snapped a picture of the hapless suspect who was finally released from the ground floor window by a crew from a local fire station just before 9 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, we've done that we've one. We've never done it. And in fact, uh, we've actually got Shik Shumway on the scene who was able to get a uh, a short soundbite from the man before well, the police showed go, up. Let's go hear what Shik says. Sir, can you tell us how you got into this mess? (laughs) 
When you first fall in love, it seems natural to leave love notes, make dinner for your partner, and fight to spend every waking moment with them, right? But after a while, we let those little things slip by. We become comfortable with spending less time and putting in less effort. But those little things are what helped you and your partner fall in love in the first place. And those little things are what uh, help you to continue to stay in love over time. A few months ago, I spoke with Leslie Duarez, a licensed marriage and family therapist and the author of Blueprint for a Lasting Marriage, How to Create Your Happily Ever After with More Intention and Less Work. We discussed uh, her article, Eight Tricks to Help You Fall More Deeply in Love, starting with her first step, trying something new. We don't stay the same over the course of time. You know, we'll get different interests. We, you know, we, we learn, we grow, we get attracted to things. And what tends to happen with couples is they go off and do their own thing. But if you actually choose to do something new together, you release all those um, wonderful endorphins and, and neurotransmitters that we had when we first started doing something right. together. And so when we and when we choose to do it together as opposed to separately, we're experiencing that with each other and that gives us a shared bond that nobody else is participating in. And there's there's little things like my partner may have a favorite hobby. They may have something that 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 they've fallen in love and have been giving all their attention and time to. So if we could find something that we could do together that is a hobby, then we might be able to salvage some time together. Well, that's the other important thing is that it's spending quality time together, not just time together. Right. And, and it's important for individuals to have their own interests because I think that gives us something interesting to talk about. And plus it also feeds our own soul. But it's important to have those things together as a couple that, so that we can stay bonded and connected with each mm. other. And, and uh, that's, I guess, what's great about life is there's no end to what you could learn together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So next one is learn your partner's love language. We've had Gary on the show. Gary Chapman wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. And, and talk to us about why learning your partner's language is, uh, is so critical. Well, because when we don't speak the same language, there's room for miscommunication. And unfortunately, we use English, which which doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to everybody. And the way that I feel love may be very different from the way you feel love, but we always resort to our own language. So if, and and in truth, my language happens to be um, acts of service. Now, I love it when my husband buys me gifts, but if he never bought me another gift again as long as the two of us were alive but still did things for me, I would know that he loved me. Hmm. And, and it's particularly critical to understand your partner's love language because the flip side, what makes us feel good, can also have its downsides. So if your language is words of affirmation criticism is going to be much harder for you than, say, for me, because mine's acts of service. If my husband's ignoring me, then I don't feel love. Hmm. And I guess that's what's, that's what's interesting, is if I can learn what my wife, uh, how she wants to be loved, and then I intentionally go practice that, learn how to do that, is that, that to me is a, more, a better sign of loving her 
than just, you know, than, than giving her a lot of what she doesn't want. Exactly, because what it shows is that she's important enough to you to maybe step outside your comfort zone a little bit. Right. And one of the things that I always talk about is, you know, learning your partner's language, speaking it is something that you really should put effort into. But how that presents itself is where negotiation can come in. So say, for instance, my language is physical touch. You might be uncomfortable with public displays of affection. That's okay as long as we're doing it in private. Right. Yeah. And it's like every time we get in the car, we still touch. Um, but yeah, you, you like that's a great way to put it. Like negotiate it. We have to talk it out. And the mere fact you're having a conversation about love languages, that's probably a good start. Exactly. And, you know, it tends to take us deeper into what does love mean? Because it doesn't mean the same things to everybody or how it's experienced isn't the same. But we kind of have this wonderful word, right. <laughs> great, but you know, do I love you the same way I love ice cream? Of course mm-hmm. not. But, that's, <laughs> but we just have this one word. One of the things, uh, another point you bring up that I guess would facilitate at least our ability to have these conversations is this simple idea that we're going to make time and schedule time to be alone. You know, once the kids start coming and you have big projects due at work, alone time becomes very scarce. So you're saying schedule it. Get it on the calendar. Right. And because that is one of the things that falls by the wayside. The squeaky wheel, what has to be done, will get attended to. So kids having to be put to bed or dinner being cooked or going to work, those are all things that have to be done. And if your relationship is okay, then we tend not to spend a lot of time focusing on it. But then we have what I call the, you know, the death of a thousand cuts that, you know, we're just slowly killing our relationship by ignoring it. But if we make sure that we have concentrated specific time to be together then we can keep that alive. And we're not talking, you know, I'm talking maybe 20 minutes, Hmm. half an hour a day. (laughs) Right. I'm not talking like, you know, now, if you can get away for a weekend, I think that's wonderful. And I think you should plan that on occasion. But it's what we do daily. And, you know, we all get 168 hours. That's all any of us get a week. That's all you're going to have, right? And how we spend our time tells people what's important to us. And Mm. so that's what I get when people say, well, my marriage is important to me, but now you're going to tell me why that's not a true statement. Mm. If you can't find 20 minutes to a half an hour a day to spend with your partner, I'm questioning how important your relationship is. Because you are finding that time to spend on Facebook. Uh, You're finding that time to spend on Netflix. You're finding the time maybe just not for each other. Right. And so I, one of the things that's helpful is to take a look at just a normal week and see where your time leaks are. See where you can pick up that you know, 20 minutes to a half an hour. And I know when kids are young, you know, I, I had two children. I tell people I now have adults because they're both over the age of 20. <laughs> but you know, but part of this is I get that that can really be hard, which is why making 
it intentional is what's going to get you through those harder, mm. younger years with the kids. Another idea you you throw out there is the idea that you, in your setting of time, make sure you set some time aside for intimacy chats. What do you mean by an intimacy chat? Well, an intimacy chat is when you are really spending concentrated one-on-one time with each other. It's probably what you did when you were first dating. I mean, I remember when my husband and I first met, we lived in two different states, and we would spend probably two hours every night on the phone with each other. By the way, this was back when there were long-distance phone charges. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we spent a lot of money. But you're concentrating on that. You're completely focused on that. There's no TV. The kids are in bed. You're not... You know, you're not having Facebook, you're running in the background. You're actually just spending time because a lot of times what we do with each other is what I call information exchange. You know, when are you coming home? When's Susie's PTA meeting? Um, you know, are we going to your families for Christmas, whatever? But if we spend some concentrated time together, we've gone past just the what we're doing, and now we're into the why. And this really lets us connect with our partners. And the more intimate we are emotionally and intellectually, the greater the chance we will also be intimate physically. Yeah. So the intimacy chat help us get there. Well, and it's, it's again, these dating couples, it seems so natural to just be able to talk for hours and hours and hours and even eye to eye, which we don't do as much when we're married, um, and uh-huh. and just focus time on learning about each other and understanding each other. So, making making a specific you know moment to go have deeper conversations, it, it's going to be valuable. Well, and there's an assumption that because I've lived with you for a long time, I know you, mm-hmm. and that's and we all know what happens when we assume. Right, right. My husband and I have been together for 31 years, and sometimes one of us will say something to the other one, and we'll look at each other like, who are you? (laughs) Because we don't really know each other. Right. And we're changing, and we're growing, right? It's dynamic. And and there's certain things I've never had to bring up today, I mean, until today, a fear, a concern. Yeah. Yeah, I've never experienced this. This is something new. This is great. Again, people can find out more at LeslieDories.com, L-E-S-L-I-D-O-A-R-E-S.com. And uh, Leslie, the fifth idea that you were giving us, um, interesting, share your spouse's interests. A lot of us don't share similar interests. You know, I may not be into Facebook or whatever, and she may not be into my hobbies, but how? First of all, why do we need to share the interest and how do we go about, you know, liking what they like? Okay, well, it isn't necessarily liking what they like. It's the willingness to experience it with them. So if, if your partner really enjoys something, then there's a curiosity about, well, what is it about this that you like? Um, when I find that out, it tells me more about who you are, what matters to you. And when I go with you, then I get to see you in a whole different light. I get to see you light up with excitement. I get to see you 
maybe if it's something that you know, maybe if it's something physical, I get to see you really putting forth an effort, hmm. and it allows me to see you in a very different light than just walking around the house. You know, yeah, well, taking and, care of the kids and help me. I mean, it can help me understand you. What is it about it you that loves this, and it could open up a whole other side of of a partner to you? Exactly. So it isn't necessarily that I have to suddenly become a big fan of what you're doing. Right, right. Or, but it it does, and it allows you to get to know me. When you're willing to come and do something that's meaningful to me, then you're learning about me. I love that. It's true. And again, all these ideas, very simple, very doable for all of us. Man, we appreciate you and your great uh, insight there. Again, Leslie Dories is her name. You can go to her website, lesliedories.com, and continue reading there, along with uh, checking out her books and other great resources. It's helping you see the good in the world. So much news to cover, and so much of it is what we call empty news. Who better to cover it than Jeffrey Liam Simpson, our anchor extraordinaire? Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is another story that we've never done before. Oh, really? Like, like, you mean like never done like the other story we had never done? Right. Okay. Uh, so police in Ohio are say are, they're saying they're looking for a man who pulled out a gun after being told by a McDonald's drive-through worker there were no egg McMuffin sandwiches available. Hold it. Well, what's the problem? That seems totally acceptable. So they, they there's no egg McMuffins and the guy pulls a gun. Well, I mean, normally it seems like that would be a reasonable request. Go to McDonald's that advertises that they have this breakfast item available yeah. all day long. Yeah. But the guy showed up at 3.30 in the morning. Okay. 3.30 in the morning. He was just pushing his luck. But again, if you're open 24 hours a day, you probably ought to have those items on hand. But breakfast doesn't start until 5.30. That's what it used to be when I was young. Yeah, but now with these all-day breakfast items, they don't have that cutoff anymore. And now people have guns. So this is about 60 miles southeast of Cleveland. The worker told police that two men inside the car appeared to be around 20 years old. Sounds mm. about right. Yep. She said the driver yelled at her after pulling out the gun and then cursed before driving away. Really? So what was the point of the gun? Intimidation. Was he thinking that you pull out the gun and all of a sudden, oh, actually, I was just kidding. We do have Egg McMuffin. Oh, you know what's the darndest thing we just put in our first Egg McMuffin? <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, again, I guess a sign of how impatient everyone's getting. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're, they're good. But they're oh. not like pull out your gun and threaten somebody at 3.30 no, in the yeah, morning. No, they're not good. that good. But, again, you, you hit it where don't bait and switch me. Because I wouldn't, I don't have a gun to pull out, but I would have pulled out my cigarette lighter. Sure, I don't have a cigarette lighter. <laughs> um, I would have pulled out my. I don't have anything to pull out. Isn't that funny? The cigarette lighter is another one of those things that many kids will never know what it is. I know. My, in fact, I remember vividly my sister holding the cigarette lighter after it had after she had charged it up and it was glowing that beautiful orange color, and she said, "Touch it." <laughs> Touch it. And I did. She pinned you down and she said, where's my where's my piggy bank? Where'd you hide it? 
We have ways of making you talk. <laughs> I still to this day have a burn mark on my thumb. Where really? I done touched it. So you could get away with all sorts of crimes, right? Because you don't have a thumbprint anymore. Yeah. Well, I still have one. It's just now it has a big burn mark in it. Hmm. But it's concentric circles, so it looks really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so here's another one. Uh, again, unlike okay. anything we've ever done yeah. before. Okay, good. And it kind of hits close to home. Uh, there's a, a nurse that had a baby in her car outside the hospital. A nurse? Mm-hmm. Who, who would have their baby in the car or the the entryway to a hospital? Who who isn't <laughs> thinking enough ahead to do that? Ah, well, um, luckily, like I said, she was a nurse. Yeah. And uh, it was a 25, 25, 35 minutes after her water broke that she decided she wanted to be here, said Katie Michael, Ella's mom. Katie Michael's water broke during rush hour on October 27th. The couple got stuck in traffic on the way to the hospital and braced themselves for the inevitable. I knew she was going to be born in the car because she started coming out, explained Katie. That's how that works. Ella Catherine Michael oh, beautiful was name. born October 27th at 5.25 p.m. Katie actually picked, the, picked up the time because she delivered her own baby outside of the emergency room at Pinnacle Health in Harrisburg, where she works as a nurse. I do a lot of the units in the hospital, but L&D is not one of them. Uh, I'm, I assume that's labor and delivery. Or loans and de- debris. Debris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't know what was actually happening. Usually you have a baby in a hospital, not in a car, said George Michael. Wait a minute. The singer? He he passed away. Or did he? Hmm. Hmm. So the baby was seven pounds, eight ounces. Cute. The Michael family says Ella is a healthy and happy baby girl. Ella! Ella! Is Streetcar Named Desire? Yeah. Ella! I think it's Stella. But that was not the greatest Marlon Brando impression. No, I, I can do it better when it's Stella. Anyway, anyway. Uh, they, you know, this brings to mind the great Sam Jackson movie. It was his one movie where he kind of took a departure from the Snakes franchise. Uh-huh. And he, but he, it was still a N.A. movie. I think they've coined that now. And a Samuel Jackson not a, stars not acceptable to children in a blank movie. Oh, in a yeah, in a <laughs> <laughs> so Samuel L. Jackson in a movie, and we have a little clip. No way. I have had it with these mothers in distress delivering their small and fragile babies on my squeaky clean floors. Step aside, nurse. I'll handle this <laughs> now. Someone give me a diaper. Step. It's a house of Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's the house of Baus, which means McKenna Baus is in the studio. McKenna is one of our great producers on the Matt Townsend Show. She likes to come in and do little mind benders, teach us about the latest and greatest research. Uh, Today, she's going to be talking about cereal. That is true. What is so interesting about cereal? Okay. um, Well, just to start off, I want to play a little game. Okay. I'm going to give you three cereals. Okay. One of them's not like the other. I want you to tell me which one you think 
is the outlier. Okay. And why? Cereal games. Here we go. Here we go. So, cereal number one, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Mm, yeah, that's heavenly. Cereal okay. number two, Reese's Puffs. Huh. Cereal number three, Honey Nut Cheerios. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely um, three because I feel shaky and jittery after the first two. <laughs> well, you're correct in that. The third one okay. is the outlier. Honey Nut Cheerios is the one that is not like the other. But, but why? you'd be wrong as to why. Okay, now why? So you feel shaky and jittery after the first two. It's probably you're thinking sugar. Right. Those are really sugary. Honey Nut Cheerios is, in fact, significantly more sugary than the first two. Is it really? That's why all the kids eat it at church. Yeah. So... Honey Nut Cheerios is America's like number one selling cereal. Oh, is it really? By yeah. a large margin. Yeah. And I mean, you think about it, it's because we're always feeding it to kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, you need yeah. a snack? Eat this. Eat the Cheerios. Have it's some Cheerios. healthy. Mm-hmm. But one thing that's really interesting is there was this study done, and they looked at sort of all the big mainstream cereals, you name it, you know, Frosted Flakes and everything in between. And Honey Nut Cheerios came in as... The most sugary, second only to Fruity Pebbles. What? Yeah. Now, yeah, Fruity Pebbles, I don't even consider a, a cereal. Uh, it's candy. Yeah, I consider it a, a, you know, a bowl of Skittles. It's cotton candy, really, because the second you pour the milk on it, it just disintegrates. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good, though. It does. Um, so, boy, second only to, Fruity Pebbles. to cotton candy in a bowl. Exactly. And so a big part of this is because the way that serving sizes are presented on cereal boxes is really misleading. Hmm. You know, you may look and you're like, oh, well, this has nine grams of sugar. And that's like what it says on, right. honey, bunch, uh, on honey Nut Cheerios. And that is because... You know, they did this whole thing where they're like, we're going to make it healthier. We're going to make it less sugary. We want to get the sugar into the single digits for kids. Yeah. And they didn't actually change how much sugar it was. They just changed what the serving size was. It went down from a cup to three quarters of a cup. And all of a sudden, it looks like it's a lot less sugary. Yeah. That's like, that's just like 30 Cheerios. Exactly. And so that's hardly a serving. It's just a really sort of this wake up call. You need to like really be paying attention to what it says the serving size is, mm-hmm. um, comparing that cereal to cereal to know what you're feeding yourself. Because if you're really looking for low sugar options, things that are healthy in that regard, then you need to be a little more careful. The oh. top, like some of the top ingredients in honey nut. Um, let me guess. Cereals are yeah. Let's hear it. Honey. Yes. Nut. No. Sugar, brown sugar, and honey. There are three of the top six. What? The, yeah. And well, When does the nut come in? Um, that one I'm not sure. You know, the top ingredient is oats, and that's what Yeah. The nuts Cheerios are the ones buying forward. them. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey, these are, these are wonderful food for, with sugar in it. Yeah. And so it's, um, you know, and even if you look at the different kinds of Cheerios, you know, there's the pumpkin spice Cheerios and Ugh. apple cinnamon Cheerios, and you're like, those are the sugary ones. Yeah, yeah, you'd think those would be the bad ones. And and those ones do have more sugar, but like if you hear the chocolate peanut butter Cheerios, which look like they have sugar mm-hmm. flakes on it, those have less sugar in them than, than the honey the old, nut. See, they're just sneaking it in now. Yep, it's everywhere. Honey nut. 
The next thing, I mean, you're going to tell us that honey bunches of oats that's isn't my healthy. Cereal. Yeah, that's and no that I got, you know me. that's really good for you because it's honey bunches. Who doesn't There's love a, a bunch, bunch of them? And oats, uh, honey bunches of oats, honey bunches of nuts. So Hall and Oats, listening to Hall and Oats oh, too yeah. is good for you with Must your be. honey in a bunch of oats. Yeah, sounds in in a, in a hall full of. Oats. <laughs> I love an oat haul. Yeah, it's the best kind. <laughs> All right. Well, this is really good information. Uh, so really, I guess it's back to just toast. Yeah. If you, you know, for your kids, if you want them to be healthy, really just focus on making sure they're getting whole grain, high fiber cereal. That's the most That's important good. part. Good advice. And lots of water. Yes. Maybe we just drink water for breakfast. Hmm. Or, no, I was going to say, go get a... Egg McMuffin. Yeah, it's probably not much better. Without a gun, by the way. Thank you so much, McKenna. McKenna Baus is now leaving the house. We appreciate her and her great insight. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang's all here. And it's Monday. So we, we want to give you a leg up, get you through life, get your day started. Some of you, it's midday already. But uh, we're here. We're here to help. And what better way to help you than say BYU Cougars won their first game? I mean, their first game in a few games. They're now up. Uh, they're four and eight. Wrong. What are they? I think they're three and eight or three and nine. Really? I'll be the judge of this that. This is only the third game they've won. Um, this is a big deal when you think about it because in the end, um, it's... And it just may well be the end. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just one season. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You think like this is... No, it's just a season. They'll be back. They'll be fine. Boy. So negative. It's like he... Me? No. It's like he doesn't understand how lucky he is to be a <laughs> Go finish that sentence. <laughs> um, so we got a lot to cover today. So much to cover. President Trump uh, in Europe or in Asia still, which I think is... I think it's been a great break. Really? For a lot of the local or the press in Washington, D.C., Hmm. Some had to travel with him still. They did. But many now can just catch their breath. But their access has been restricted so far, it's like a vacation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They they don't have access to most of what's happening. They get a couple little press events here and there and they but, just kind of sightsee. Yeah, but don't yeah, but don't yeah, that's the thing. They just keep them in a van in an idling van where the gases and fumes are getting to them. Right. Do they have the stanchions on Air Force One as well? Like they can't cross this stanchion? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. There's the press. There's a part toll. Of the plane they have to pay a toll if they're going to cross it. I think they have to sit in the bathroom on Air Force One. That's oh where they sleep. You know what? But that would be an honor, <laughs> wouldn't it? Um, lot to cover today too. We're going to be getting into ten traits of tech healthy families. How to keep your family tech healthy? We've been battling this with our family lately. My my family, they're all addicted. I'm even addicted. Now we all we just sit in the same room. Everyone's on a different machine, and we ignore each other. Not healthy. 
And apparently um, we're going to learn how to stop that. So we'll get to that straight ahead. Plus, um, also BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. We'll we'll be able to ask them questions about the big game, how that all went down. Uh, so much to cover there. But first, let's get to the headlines with Thor. Hey, the ankleless. <laughs> we'll have to share that story now. Someday we will. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> White House Chief of Staff John Kelly said on Sunday that he does not follow the president's, uh, President Donald Trump's tweets and that he tells other staffers not to react to the president's missives on Twitter. Someone I read the other day said we all just react to the tweets, he told reporters traveling with Trump in Vietnam. We don't. I don't. I don't allow the staff to. We know what we're doing. Kelly added that he finds out about them eventually and they are what they are. Ahead of a news conference in Vietnam, Trump uh, tweeted a suggestion that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un is short and fat, as we've talked about. Yeah. So do you find that – do you think that's the best way to go as you're the chief of staff of a guy who uses Twitter as much as President Trump does yeah. and you just ignore it? I think he, I think you got to pay attention to it. It seems like it's an important thing. And I think he probably pays more attention than he says he does. Because you have the Secretary of State Tillerson, who says he wakes up, looks at it, and then adjusts his day according to how the president is tweeting right. for the, you know. Well, it's... it's they it's, adjust the message, right? It, and again, people have said that, uh, well, not... Uh, <laughs> it, it, but it's like a mother... Okay. ...that says that I don't, I don't count, I don't pay attention to when my kid spills the milk. Hmm. But, no, you do. You totally do. Because someone's got to clean it up, and when that little kid spills the milk... So is John Kelly being truthful and saying he doesn't pay attention, or do you think he truly doesn't pay attention? I think he's trying to be optimistic and positive. Nice little spin on it there. Just like a mother. It's like, I don't like to count every day, three times a day when he spills his milk. I like to just look at the two times a day that he doesn't spill the milk. He also (laughs) said in another situation a couple weeks ago, don't pay attention when he puts his head in his hands. Yeah. In public settings. It means nothing. Yeah, it's fine. Everybody has to you know, support he's, their head once in a while. He's reapplying, I should say. GOP That's Senate right. candidate Roy Moore has vowed to file a lawsuit over the recent Washington Post report detailing sexual misconduct allegations against him. Speaking in Huntsville, Alabama on Sunday, Moore told supporters the article was a desperate attempt to stop my political campaign. And the claims he was, quote, involved with a minor child are completely false and untrue and for which they will be sued, the Associated Press reported. He provided no further details on the lawsuit or who would be included in it. The story, which he dismissed as fake news, cited four women who alleged that Moore pursued them when they were teenagers. The youngest woman said she was 14. They're all now in their 30s. They allege sexual abuse. Uh, Moore has, or Moore was in his 30s when this happened. So he had like a 30 year old. He was, in, uh, I think he was working the state attorney's office. Uh, and 14 year old girls and uh, uh, people have come out this weekend saying it's common knowledge that he pursued women of that age. Well, like, what was everyone doing? He said he would have asked the mother's permission before he pursued any sort of relationship with a, a girl of that age. So, well, how noble. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Morris faced calls to drop out of the Senate race in light of the allegations, but he has maintained that he did nothing wrong and described the claims as part of a smear campaign against him. Has he dismissed that he ever went out with a teenage girl, no. an 18 or under girl? Has not, he said not, that? not completely. If you listen to the Sean Hannity interview, yeah. now, earlier in the show, Joe Cannon referenced that, and he said it was kind of refreshing that. Sean Hannity actually interviewed him, which yeah, yeah. he did. Well, and interviewed it's, him kind of harsh, Instead right? of saying, this is horrible, right? You think this is bad, right? Those types of questions. He said, did you do this? That's you know, those a good types question. of questions. Yeah. 
And he came back and said, uh, Roy Moore said something. Generally, no. It's not something I would, my per, my Generally. Character, yeah. Yeah, generally. But what about specifically? <laughs> Yeah, so the interview didn't do much to help Roy Moore's situation, but oh uh, yeah, uh, the FBI's background check system is missing millions of records of criminal convictions, mental illness diagnoses, and other flags that would keep guns out of potentially dangerous hands. A gap that contributed to the shooting death of 26 people in Texas, a Texas church last week. Experts who studied the data say government agencies responsible for maintaining such records have long failed to forward them into federal databases used for gun background checks. Systemic ba- ba- uh, breakdowns have lingered for decades as officials decided they were too costly and time-consuming to fix. The FBI says it doesn't know the scope of the problem, but the National Rifle Association says about 7 million records are absent from the system based on a 2013 report by a nonprofit National Consortium for Justice Information and Statistics. Hmm. Hmm. So our database... It seems like we need to we need to get that database fixed. Insufficient, it looks like. Yeah, it doesn't have all the information it needs to be effective. Yeah, especially if you're yeah. So if you're doing an FBI, because that, that's like the feared thing. We're going to do an FBI background check on you before you can be, you know, doing a certain job. But apparently, kind of an empty database. So okay, there's work to do there. Jeff, will you get on that? Um, Fix the database, Jeff. Come on, done. Okay. Nice, great. And finally... He didn't know a, what we were talking about. A new about. big feature on the iPhone X or iPhone X, depending on your preference there, Apple's premier smartphone, the Face ID, yes. which instead of unlocking your phone with a fingerprint scan, it scans the owner's face to unlock mm-hmm. the phone. Now, researchers from a Vietnamese firm, Bakve, say that they have already te- bested the security mechanism with a custom-made mask that costs around $150. The mask uses a combination of 3D and 2D printing elements as well as silicone nose implants. So after nearly 10 years of development, face recognition is not mature enough to guarantee security security for computers or smartphones. Really? They've created a mask and they can take your face, make the mask. This is like Mission Impossible. This is Mission Impossible. Can Can I get out of a Lamborghini by somehow going down into a manhole cover? Wow. Mission Impossible 3, by the way. Mm-hmm. Good reference. Yeah. Thank you for knowing the numbers. So what this says, uh, to be clear, this approach probably isn't something the average thief is going to be able to pull off. So the threats are maybe How minimal. How about the above average thief? Probably. Okay. But it acts as a reminder that resourceful and creative hackers are going to try to circumvent whatever protections they can. Law enforcement agencies such as the FBI, who especially have an interest in accessing uh, seized phones, are probably paying attention to this. They're having a problem getting into the Texas church shooter's phone. Really? And they've brought that up again, that this is impeding an investigation and probably they're saying put future lives at risk because we can't get into these phones. And again, they blame Apple. And Apple's trying to say, Are just doing people, my job. People officer. want to have a secure phone. I don't know what you want us to do. We want you to build a tiny little back door yes. into said phone where we could sneak a tiny little man or woman. Right. Just inject them into that little Hole. See, and here's and the, then they'll go in and unlock the door. Here's the problem. Then you have a government institution mm-hmm. that has that technology. Yeah. Right. No, they uh, may, allegedly. Right. I mean, now, no, no. If if that if that sort of uh, program is made to get into your phone, yeah. the FBI would then have it. Right. Now, let's say they use it completely above board. Yeah, only just for the, doing you know, what they're supposed to do. Well, they would share that possibly with someone like the NSA. Okay. Right, yeah. the NSA is dealing with a massive breach 
The New York Times had a cover story this weekend. Yeah. A massive breach. The WannaCry virus has shut down hospitals and businesses across the country. Some businesses, big shipping companies in Boston are oh. still dealing with this. Yeah. They were somehow infiltrated. And their tools they use, the NSA uses to hack and spy on other people on the internet, that is now out in the wild and random people are now using it on well, everyday people. Well, I know, but I guess... And so that's what people have a question is, our government already shows that they're not secure in everything they have. So is Apple saying they actually, so Apple they does, don't even have it? Well, they don't. That's they don't have saying. it at all. That's yeah, what they're because saying. Because it's... It's on your phone. Apple is involved with the security that way. Yeah. I think you were describing the uh, premise to the next Mission Impossible movie. I think Ethan Hunt gets shrunk down to about yay high. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, and, that's Ant-Man. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's already been done in Ant-Man. Or oh. the tiny little super guy from Sesame Street when I was a kid. There's also... He has a theme song, too. He's on the little cup. He's oh. like rolling across the kitchen counter. Yeah. You'll see it. There's also no, downsizing won't. where Matt Damon basically goes down that... Far. Oh, well, wow. and then mm-hmm. there's the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That's, I mean, this is an old, this is a very old. Honey, we blew up the kid. Then there's Honey, yeah. uh, we shrunk ourselves. Honey, as I, if she didn't already know because she was that small. Um, honey, I, think was, I snorted the child mm, yeah. accidentally. I think the subtitle for Honey, we shrunk ourselves because by then it was straight to video was uh, Honey, they shrunk our budget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That lady's still in the audience. She's a trooper. I love her. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. Um, so we've we've updated all the honey I shrunks and um, when just after talking about honey nut Cheerios. Yeah. Which, by the way, shouldn't be consuming unless you want the sugar dosage of. You can consume it. Just be have all the facts. That's hey, really what the message. That's was. Exactly by the way, what it was. Will kids eat regular Cheerios? Like if you take a bag no. to church if or you, the park, will they eat those? If you don't let them know that Honey Nut Cheerios exists, yeah, mm-hmm. they'll be fine so with it. So as long as they've never tasted Honey Nut Cheerios, then we're good. Because they'll yeah. eat the Cheerios and be like, what's this? It's not doused in sugar. That's what's why happening? you always give them those puffed rice cakes. Oh, yeah. Those mm-hmm. are good. You always give those first, and then everything tastes better after that. Just give them a banana in one hand and a bowl of Cheerios in the other. They can pour some Cheerios and crunch on the – or. Bite down on the banana, too. Yeah, you don't want to crunch on the banana. No. A crunchy banana is really non-appetizing. Well, Mama told me not to eat crunchy bananas. I think they're just called plantains. Mm -hmm. By the way, speaking of plantains, um, we put up our Christmas lights. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, Well, because it was was nice and warm outside. And uh, so we got the ladder, uh, and I, I sent my kid up to do it. Well, yeah. That's what they're for. Oh, I know. And my wife's like, oh, I don't know if he should maybe be doing that. I'm like, he's 12. He's fine. Yeah, he's fine. Oh, he's 12. Yeah, he was really worried. Hmm. It was a really tall ladder. Were Let you holding just, the ladder for him? I did I did for a bit. Let me just look up a number here really quick. Okay. I'm not going to tell you which one. Don't, okay. Just, yeah, look don't up a number. Yeah, so I was – and he went up and we overcame fear. It was a really hmm. wonderful father-son thing. and Just stay up there. <laughs> I, I walked him through it, and he went up and lefty-loosey, righty-tighty, took mm-hmm. the light. Oh, because I, I don't put my Christmas lights up like strands of lights. Right. I have like 10 lights or eight lights on my house, mm-hmm. and they're big like floodlights. So I just changed the, the floodlights. Yeah. yeah. And then you have like Christmas colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, right now, we had to choose whether we wanted a red light over my front door or mm. a green light over my front door. These are decisions, yes. And we went with the green light. 
Ooh. We just thought the red light had a really bad connotation. <laughs> hey, totally unrelated question, but yeah. do you know if CPS has a branch in Sandy? Or um, Draper, I'm sorry, Draper? Ch- uh, Child Protest- Protective Services? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, they don't. Okay. They wow. don't. No. No. I wonder why he wants that. I don't know. I was just curious. It's just strange. See, I, I put the lights on my parents' house. Oh, that's nice of you. And then I take that as being my... Uh, my time spent putting lights up for the holidays. That's like your – oh, so then you don't put them up on your house? Absolutely not. Why? Because then I have to take them back down. Well, I know, but that's – do you not love your children? I do. We decorate the inside of the home. They can decorate, put something on the door. But don't you ever drive light. home and when you arrive, your kids are like, how come all the neighbors have lights, Dad? Yep. Why are they They do. More? They also talk about how the neighbors have pets. Yeah. And we don't. Yeah. Because it always involves me. If they could do it and has nothing to do with me, we could put lights up. We'll have pets. But I feel like, one, I would have to put the lights up and uh-huh. take the lights down. Have you, ever, have you guys ever talked I'd about to, Scrooge? Well, yeah. I get accused of that every year. I think that's a, just a, a slight. and They're just trying to smear me. Mm. I feel kind of kin with Roy Moore at that point. <laughs> wow. Sorry about that. We both feel like, feel like yeah. we're being smeared. Yeah, you're being smeared. Yeah. People are, yeah. The rest of it, no, no, there's no connection. But I'm just saying, smeared. Well, you know, if the smear fits, <laughs> wear it. I'm not a Scrooge. I just, you know, don't like put up lights. I don't either, but I do it. Because I'll put it off and it'll be June and the lights will be that's up there. Well, no, like, that's oh. it. I have my lights up for six months. So mine will now be up till it's warm again. Till summer, till it's really warm. So probably June. Just then I'm going to get those up. lights out. Keep them up year round. That's what I said. Except my son had a, a dance he went to. And he was really embarrassed. He says, Dad, we're so white trash. I'm like, why? And he said, because we're the only people with a green light on our front door. And his date brought picked him up. And I'm like, well, do you want me to put the red one up? <laughs> He's like, we're fine. We're fine, Dad. It's so hard to please these kids today. <sighs> what are you going to do? Okay. Well, we're going to take a break. And up next, we're going to uh, be talking about 10 traits of tech-healthy families so that you can get your act together, for heaven's sakes. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be a healthier, happier, tech-friendly family. Technology has become so integrated into our everyday lives that it's not unusual to see toddlers with iPads or iPods. The kicker is that sometimes they can work the gadgets better than their parents. The saturation of technology in everyday life may have some parents asking the question, is our family tech healthy? What kinds of boundaries ought to be set to create a healthy and happy family adept at modern technology? A month, a few months ago, I spoke with Janelle Burley Hoffman. She's a speaker and consultant on technology, media, health, and relationships. Janelle wrote the, an article for the Huffington Post, 10 Traits of Tech Healthy Families. I began the interview asking Janelle why she decided to make parenting uh, to make parenting in the age of technology her area of focus. It was on my mind as a mother of five and parenting in the digital space and also my work with youth and community and parenting regionally here in Massachusetts. I was seeing how much it was on the minds of young people and their families. And so when my oldest son, who is now 16, was 13, I he wanted his first smartphone, of course, and I wanted to make sure that when I gave him the technology, I was doing it thoughtfully and mindfully. I wasn't just automatically handing it over. Right. And 
So I wrote him an 18 contract outlining <laughs> my expectations um, and agreement of how we would use the technology and really how I thought he could use it in a very specific way, like in how I wanted him to turn it off at certain times in the night. And I still wanted him, you know, I wanted to remind him that what he said over the device, he had to be willing to say to someone's face, you know, because it's so easy to be brave. Right. And then, of course, there were some points in there that was a reflection on how I wanted the technology to not take away his adolescence or replace some of those human experiences that are important around growing up. And so from there, um, I shared the contract, obviously, uh, with my husband and my son. And then I shared it on my blog, both on my website and on the Huffington Post, and it, it went viral. And this was back in 2012. <laughs> and, and from there, the work really shifted from um, my family and a regional perspective to this big international conversation, bringing the book I Rules to life and talking to schools and to teachers and parents and students themselves all over the world about this very conversation of how do we integrate technology in a way that's exciting and new and can enhance our lives, but how do we address some of the challenges and changes um, that happen for us in the everyday around it? Mm, that is a super proactive as a parent, but I mean, really, you took on the issue that many of us are are fighting and, and trying to balance every day. It's also like you you didn't just try to brush it aside and pretend like it's not an issue, but you 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 wanted to get some control over it. And I guess I guess one of the first keys is to not necessarily reject technology, but to kind of to to manage it, to lead it. Absolutely, I think as the adults. Um, we need to be first reflecting on our own use. You know, what, what, in what ways are we using the technology? Is it balanced in our lives? Is, are we using it in a way that feels good to us, or do we already feel pulled by it? What's our level of digital literacy or digital fluency around the devices? Are we resisting it? Are we afraid of it? You know, how are we thinking about the technology before we automatically just hand it to a child and expect them, while they can be really tech-savvy as part of the digital generation, but we still have the wisdom of the teachings that are important in integrating that process to the technology. You know, just because we can hand over all the technology in the world to a child doesn't mean that we should all at once, that we should be introducing it to them a little at a time so that they, we can set them up for that level of success with the technology. As you know, um, parenting in, in a busy, full house, in modern-day parenting, none of us want to introduce something that's going to add more struggle. Right, right. We right. want to address some of these issues. Like this, It's already challenging enough <laughs> it's to so run a true. family. It's so, so true. Is so there... we all go out and buy these devices that, that can, can add more stress. But I think if we take that step back and say, how do we want it, right? Yes, the technology is here, but how do we want it in our lives? And that, you might answer that question different than I might or someone right. else, but it's really important that we reflect on it. Yeah, and, and you use our brains, right? And th- we're here for a purpose. We ha- we're having a family for a purpose, and that purpose isn't to just ignore each other and to be controlled by our devices. I also love that you, you focus it on a family as well, like because you know, and families come in every shape and size. One of the powerful things, though, is it, it, it's a system, right? This a family is a is a is a structure and an organization, and it has rules and it has boundaries. And 
Um, when you talk about your uh, article, 10 Traits of Tech Healthy Families, well, give us some ideas that come from that uh, about what actually what, – what would be essential or important to make sure we're looking at to create a tech-healthy family? This is – the reason I use the term tech-healthy is because I want us to think about it like we would other areas of health and wellness, whether it's physical health or mental health or emotional health, social health. I want to start introducing technology in that same way, right? So we might tell our children that they can't, they can have a cookie for dessert, but they can't have a cookie for every single meal and never eat a vegetable, right? So we want to look at it from a place of, of balance that we can have some of it and we can take our time with it. So, so in the article, I think one of the most foundational pieces of, of my work is that it's not up to me to tell people what they should be doing with the technology, but instead offering them the opportunity to reflect on what they want from the technology. Mm. And where we begin with that is thinking about what our values are as a family, what are principles and cornerstones that are guiding us in other areas of our lives, in the other ways and methods we're teaching our kids, and then applying that to the screen. That's such a great... I just was thinking as you were saying that, like we have a daughter that's married, has a be- we have a beautiful grandbaby that, and they come over and they'll walk in the house. They're coming to visit, and there's this lull between when they arrive and when people put their technology away, and there's this awkward silence. And and I'm sitting there thinking we need to sit down with our kids and talk about these things. Like what do we want people to feel when they come over? When they walk in, and I mean, all that is is a conversation, right? Like, like you're saying, it's just a question we need to answer. Exactly, and young people can be part of that conversation. Too, right. Of, you know, what does this look like, and what message does this send about what's important, and and being present. And it's not the call to action is not for us to be perfect, or not that we'd never make a mistake, or you know that we aren't always learning. I think that's the one great thing about parenting is that we're learning every single right. day about ourselves, about our children, about the way that they interact in all different ways, but with the technology. So really making this about about reflection, that we have this opportunity because the technology is new for all of us, right? There's nobody ahead of us saying, when did my mom allow me to go on Instagram? Or when is the right, you know, when did I get my first smartphone? That we're really trailblazing this as right. a generation of parents right now. So we need each other. We need these conversations. But also we need to be reflecting in our, in our own lives and families. So that, that, that takes a little bit of work. You know, when I teach a class or um, give a talk, people will say, oh, I thought you were going to give me three simple steps that would guarantee success <laughs> and we would live happily ever after. And we all know that's, number one, not how life or parenting works. So, of course, the technology, especially because it's so new, is not going to be every different in any way from that. We're going to have to be reevaluating and, and reassessing. And I think that's why contracting and coming up with these agreements and having a lot of communication around this space is critical because our kids grow and change, the technology shifts and changes, but what can stay the same and what's reflected in the 10 tech healthy habits of families is that the values stay the same even as the external world shifts. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. And and just the mere fact that we've had a discussion around our values and principles, that's a killer foundation. Janelle Burley Hoffman, 
who is the author of the book I Rules, What Every Tech Healthy Family Needs to Know About Selfies, Sexting, Gaming, and Growing Up. She also wrote an article called 10 Traits of Tech Healthy Families, and she's walking us through the conversations we need to have with our kids when it comes to technology. This is such, a, I think, an essential foundation we need around our technology. And what I love, too, is how you set it up really as there's some dialogues, there's discussions we need to have with our kids. And one of them is you said uh, last last before the break about the fact that we need to kind of set up our values and our principles. We need to kind of shore those up for what we want to be as a family. And then you also talk about the fact that we need families um, need that did they need to I guess decide if they're going to be digitally literate. What do you mean by that? Sure. So, so this is a great opportunity for for parents to reflect on how comfortable they are around the technology. And to parent in the digital space, it doesn't mean that we need to know how to code or that we need to be tech experts ourselves, but we want to have a fluency in it, right? We want to have an understanding not just in our own use, but also in our individual child's use. So if we think about our children in different ways, they have different behaviors, they probably have different appetites, right? Some of them might eat a lot, some of them might eat like birds. Well, the way they're going to interact with the technology is going to be different, too. They're going to have different tech tendencies, and we want to know that about our child. Hmm. And we want to parent and curate the experience for them so that they, again, can come back to this word health, so that they interact in a healthy way. So, so what does that mean, and what does that look like? Well, just like we would ask our children, you know, who's going to hang out and be playing down at the soccer field? Who will you be with? Um, what time will you be home? You know, if we think of, of a middle schooler in that regard. And, you know, do you need a ride? How will you contact me? We have all of these conversations away from the screen. And we want to be having that same kind of knowledge and interaction with our kids on the screen, hmm. right? So who do you text with? Where are you online? What social networks? What games are you playing? Asking questions when in doubt as parents get curious. Why do you like it? How will you use it? Why does it feel important for you to have it? So, again, these are all questions we can ask before allowing a certain social network or allowing a device, during or after we've already said yes. It's never too late to come back and reassess some of the things we've said yes to and ask the question of the family, right? What's working? What's going really well? And what is it? Right. And and this is something you, you can't afford to just leave it to your child. I mean, you want to be informed, like you say. You, you want to be up to date. Absolutely. And kids feel really safe and really happy and positive when they have boundaries, when they know what the expectations are. Just like all of us in our own, in the workplace or, you know, in our, in our relationships, we want to know, you know, where are the boundaries here? What is the expectation? What's the, again, where, where, Am I supposed to be? What's okay? Who mm. can I go for if I've made a mistake or I need some help? You know, asking who are my askable adults? Because no child should have to figure out the Internet and all of the things that go on with the Internet on their own. Right. They need people. They need guidance. They need models. And it doesn't necessarily have to be people who are absolutely experts on the technology, but they, they need we can't just hand over the technology and hope for the best. Yeah. I, I use the analogy often, if we wanted to teach our child to cook a meal, we're going to think of this as a process, right? right? We're going to say, okay, perhaps you know, when they're a young child, preschool age, they'll stand with us in the kitchen, we'll read the recipe for them, they might get to mix in the bowl, then when they get a little bit older, we might let them chop some of the vegetables to go into the soup, 
So they get to use the knife after we've taught them. And then as they get older, maybe they can bake a cake on their own with the ultimate goal being that someday they can feed themselves, hmm. right? That, mm-hmm. that we've taught them enough. And we would never just say, here's the ingredients, here's the recipe, here's some utensils, and be careful sometimes the stove gets hot. Yeah. But you, that you, wouldn't be enough. No, you, you need more, don't you? You make them, you call them eye rules. So through these discussions and even just through your learnings, or even mistakes that happen, we could also come up with some I rules. Explain what an I rule is. Sure. So an I rule is an agreement or a, a boundary around the technology. And again, these limits and boundaries and expectations for our kids help them know what what we value and where the limits are. And just so some examples of different I rules can be a, a specific time we want our children to turn the device off at night. Right. Or a specific time for usage. A lot of families are... You know, one of the big questions I hear right now is a lot of screen time is for homework, and it's hard to know, you know, how much is too much and what is normal and all of this. And, and so allowing time for just some freedom for the kids to, whether it's, you know, to text with friends or to use social networks to go on the games, and then there's time to get down to business where they're using it for schoolwork and really having a different a conversation around our kids to help them differentiate is important. Mm. Also outlining, you know, eye rules can include things in terms of behaviors, right? So that social-emotional health, about the kind of content we want them viewing, the types of things they want to share, also to protect their personal information. Kids don't naturally know. You know, a little bit they're taught in school now, but to protect their passwords, that no one should ever ask for their name and birth date or any banking or credit card information, that if any of those things come up through a gaming or the app store, that, that they need to come to a parent or another caregiver or babysitter because those things are private and personal information. You know, just teaching them these foundational usage tips is really important as, as they go forward. It's part of the things that our kids need to learn in modern society. Yeah. We, we make a big deal um, about that they're, they're probably going to end up seeing something on the Internet that they they don't feel they should be looking at and what they should do when they come across something like that instead of just hiding it, going quiet and pretending like they didn't see it. We always just tell them, come tell us, we'll help you turn it off. We'll help you get off the page. And, but because otherwise there's this shame that could be associated with some things that are on there or just naive, you know, exploration that could end up harming them. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because again, this is a critical teaching and when you say to a child, uh, you may stumble across something that you, you know, I, I'll ask this question when I'm in schools and, and doing programming to students, how many of you, and this could be age eight all the way through co- a college lecture, how many of you have seen something online you wish you didn't see? Hmm. And 100% of the time, 100% of the students put their hands up. Yeah. And this doesn't necessarily mean that it's something explicit or particularly violent or something in a lot of cases that parental controls might block. It might just be something that they didn't understand, they weren't sure if it was true, something that felt confusing. Right. So, so it's important that we have these things in place so our children know, I'm here for you. I can handle it. Right? That's a really powerful sentiment. And if we can't be that person as their parents, that we're directing them to somebody that can. Yeah, man, that's a, what do you call them? Uh, what do you call the person that they can go to? The askable adult. That's such a great term, isn't it? The askable adult. And um, 
I mean, I guess ideally we should always, as a parent, try to be the askable adult, right? Um, yes. That's, that's the idealistic point of view. Well, the funny thing is, though, every teenager also knows there's some things we just don't ask mom and dad. Except, <laughs> except even that would be great if you could make yourself, you know, available in such a way that it's askable. I, I love another part of your um, your ten tech family traits um, is the fact that we're having fun with technology. The benefit of technology. There's so much that you can do with it now, and our family will just gather together and. and um, like on Apple TV, and and we can just shoot up really funny videos that we all watch. And for an hour, we can all throw up our favorite videos and share them as a family. Absolutely. I think we cannot underestimate how fun and how engaging the technology really is and how convenient and how it does have a lot of positive contributions to, to family life when we use it that way. I, I right. can speak from my own experience. I, you know, At this time, I have a 16-year-old son, a 13-year-old son, an 11-year-old daughter, a 10-year-old daughter and an 8-year-old daughter. And while they don't all have their own personal devices, my teenage sons do. And I have to say that the technology has deepened our relationships because we we can share articles. We can share funny videos with each other. Um, I get a sense of what their interests are mm-hmm. and what they're reading, what they're watching. And at another time, I don't think my 16-year-old son would have cut out 10 newspaper clippings and said, hey, mom, check these out. <laughs> They're really funny, you know? But now he can share that kind of content with me. So it's insight and talking points and conversation we can engage in. Once it's been shared on the screen, now it becomes a place a, a place we can build a bridge and something we have in common to reference as, as we go through the teenage years. Or even silly things like the face swap app, you know, so yeah. you can put your face on someone else's face, which all of my kids are in love with this app and there's this silliness about it so really finding ways i mean i know families that build lego programming together or they're curious and they have access to information like never before so they can explore and get answers to questions together so there's absolutely unlimited ways that we can deepen and enhance the relationship as a family through the technology Mm. it really again it's it's our it's our tool it doesn't have to be our master we have a a couple more minutes what would you say uh, janelle as we're wrapping up what would you say you know is is the one thing that I, i always call it the one thing that just might create the make the biggest difference for us, but the one thing that immediately something we could all start doing that would that would create a change, a positive change in our use of technology. Sure. sure. So I call this the, the slow tech philosophy. So slow tech doesn't mean no tech. It doesn't mean a slow connection to the technology, but it's thinking about how you want it in life. So maybe you can make a small change saying everybody, including the adults, are going to put their devices away before bed, or we're all going to sit down to a meal device-free. We're going to spend some time having conversation around the technology. So it doesn't mean that we need to get rid of it for a week, or it doesn't, but if there's pockets where we can be fully present um, with our family, with our partners, with our friends and extended family, where we bring back some of the presence and some of the humanity to the space around the digital world. And that doesn't mean we don't have a deep love for the technology, but it means we have a deep respect for those relationships away from the screens as well. Huh. Wow. That's cool. I love that. I mean, that's pretty basic, isn't it? It's just <laughs> it basic. <is. laughs> that's, I guess all of this is basic, and yet uh, it's so hard for us to do and, and to, to make sure that the tech doesn't run us over. Well, we appreciate you. Janelle Burley Hoffman, uh, great 
Great insight, really. And people can find out more about what you're doing by just going to your website, JanelleBurleyHoffman.com, or looking you up on Huffington Post as well. Is that right, Janelle? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you. Great work. And uh, everybody go also check out the book, I Rules, What Every Tech Healthy Family Needs to Know About Selfies, Sexting, Gaming, and Growing Up by Janelle Burley Hoffman. We'll take a break, folks. We're helping you find the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. They did it. BYU Cougars, uh, they won. They beat UNLV in football. And who better to walk us through that win than our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's good. That was good news, huh? Great weekend. Forgot what it felt like. Yeah. Some serious offense. By the way, help me on this. Um, so Joe Critchlow, who is a, who was redshirting until halfway through the year, right? Yes. Now he's quarterbacking. How do you? How did he do? One hundred and sixty yards. Is was that no interceptions? Is that is that like a good start where we're like, oh wow, or was it really that he was just handing it off to Squally? So you much? cannot ask for more. From a who can fourth, ask for anything more? Fourth string quarterback, fresh off of his mission to go on the road and win his first start, managing the game without turning it over. Yeah, creating yeah. some plays and taking some pressure off of the running game with his arm early on, which eventually opened up things for Squally Canada. If that you didn't it. watch the game and you just look at the line, it's it's nice. But he was in control. Yeah, he was in control. Calm as ever. He didn't make a single poor decision. He made some tremendous throws. That's, as you said, as good as it gets for a freshman quarterback. And he is the fourth BYU freshman quarterback to win his first start. The names. Listen to the names. Yeah, yeah. Ty Detmer. Oh, I've heard of him. Taysom Hill. Tanner Mangum. Joe Critchlow. Mm. Wow. on fourth stringer. Touchdown. Well, what what the? Where? What's the difference? Yeah, what's the difference? Like, I mean, it's at a partially is it's UNLV. Their defense was giving up thirty a game. Okay, plus okay. But BYU played ECU on the road, worst defense in in college football in points and yards, and did not have a similar performance. Mm-mm. The MVP to me of that game was Squally Canada, who rushed for the ninth most yards in a game in BYU history. Yeah, he was amazing. He was awesome. Which brings us to our Twitter question, by the way. Elijah what? Bryant was amazing for the basketball team. 10 of 11, 27 points, missed one three, six threes. Who had the best weekend? We will discuss huh? coming up. It was a great weekend. Who had the best one? This is exciting. Plus some passing yards. I mean, this is – it's kind of – it's fun It's fun to win, but it's also fun to, like, not see the whole team come apart. Yeah, it's been a tough year. That was the best game BYU's played all season, <laughs> including San Jose State. You know, that, that was good. BYU's first road win will tell you how long it's been since BYU won a game on the road. It's been over a year. Now, and, and exactly how long. Now, out. UMass is up next, right? UMass is up next. Uh, and BYU by the way, aren't they – they're, they're an independent team, right? Yeah, this is for the independent conference championship. No. Um, <laughs> there's no conference. Okay. Yeah, UMass. And then whoever loses, there's a rematch in basketball mm. coming up uh, next week. Who? In New York. BYU and UMass. Oh. <gasps> 
Oh, so oh, so the, it is the true rematch. Yeah, so it'll be a, there'll be a football game this week, yeah. and then there's a basketball game. Next this week. is good. This is yeah. good. Yeah. Is, Plus, uh, news on Nick Emery. Uh, we'll tell you uh, about him withdrawing from school and what it means for the BYU basketball team this year. Yeah, that's a that's a big headline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Spencer's giving it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it just it feels amazing to enjoy the winning feeling D- on you, a Monday. You've lost. That winning feeling is whoa that. <laughs> oh, oh no! Keep going. No, no um, it's okay. Is, we don't have the rights to more than four seconds of that. For that's right. Well, that's you know what? A lot. Line told us, but a lot of people wouldn't even recognize that as a song. Yeah. Eh, okay. Thanks for that. Not to be rude. <laughs> hey, um. Well, when well, Tom Cruise sings it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a little different. Yeah. Um. Yeah. To me. The fun thing about the game, um, too, was at the very end you started wondering, boy, are they going to come back? Could they come back? Is it possible that BYU could lose this? This, But then they pull it out. They're amazing. Indeed. And uh, basketball's going now. It's crossover time. It's a wonderful time of year. Do you guys, uh, do you guys ever like wake up and just say, oh, I'm sick of sports? No. Uh, nope. No. Never happened? Come no. On. Even this year? No. Come on. Just for a minute. Just like for a weekend. I think there are times where you need to decompress and do something other than sports, but I don't recall a time where I have woken up and been like, man, I hate sports. Do you want to? And so is that when you go to dance? That's when I watch Stranger Things, too. <laughs> really? That's how you decompress. Mm-hmm. A little Stranger Lately. Things. Well,. I think um, I think you deserve it. You guys have had a very busy year, and it's and it just keeps getting busier now that you've got basketball on top of it all. Hey, uh, did you hear the whole story about Marquise Goodwin? He's the receiver for the Forty ers that uh, who also the night before on Sunday tragically lost his his baby had to be delivered early, and the baby died. Mm, and but yet he then played the game that that next afternoon and had a couple of really incredible catches, like an eighty mm. three yard touchdown catch. Wow! And then announced that he had lost his baby. Mm. Sad thing. That's but terrible. I mean, I look at all the stress and the pressure these guys are under, and it's mm. I don't you know. Plus, you know. Uh, Meanwhile, real life happens. And yeah. it's like It can be an escape, but it's hard to escape that. That's right. right? Neat stuff. That's, that's really tough. Well, um, okay. Hey, Did you guys have it? on that note. Yeah, well, that's kind of just the news. Uh, it's what, really tough. It's <laughs> tough news. Real life. And, but not to bring you down on that one. In fact, let's see if we can't pick it up. Um, we could go back to the fact that the uh, Astros won. Why you got to do that to Joe? I don't know. I just, See, now, I just, I just, oh. he, he just, he cringes a little bit every time I say the word Astros. Hey, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay, buddy. Oh, well. Well, guys, uh, we know you're ready and locked and loaded, but uh, you've got five minutes to get your show okay. on the road. All right. Peace out. Remember who you are and may the force be with you. Boy, those two. Do you see how fast they just get their they they get their show out? They know that they know what they're talking about. Well, they've already had their makeup on for a while, and that's really the most time-consuming thing. Well, the, and the time-consuming thing is really the body makeup. Well, and the upper lip waxing. Oh yeah, and the collagen injections. Mm. The I I think have you seen the big tanks of collagen they have down there? 
They yeah. must inject them. Oh, every is that other what it was? Mm-hmm. I thought they were filling up a, a gas station or something. No, 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 no. Oh. That's just that's that just, just goes, for lips. Pumps directly into their yeah. dressing room. It's something we can't have on the radio because it ruins our speech. <laughs> we, they can just look pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've got to sound pretty. Yeah, we actually have to sound. We have to have rich, deep voices. They can just talk like this and have the big collagen lips. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it works. Hey, let's get to our hero story. TSA agent details moments after a lithium battery explosion at the Orlando airport. The TSA agent uh, said it happened moments uh, in, in the moments at the Orlando International Airport after he saw someone's bag smoking and a lithium battery exploding inside. Leaders at the airport said they plan on reviewing how they responded to the camera battery explosion in a backpack Friday night, causing chaos and hours of delay. The TSA agent who grabbed the bag said he moved it right over uh, between two pillars to maximize to minimize the impact in case the camera bag exploded. I heard people yelling, TSA agent Ricardo Perez said, and surveillance video showed that moments right after the lithium battery exploded inside one of the passenger's bags. He said, I was so close to the bag. Let me get out of the way, Perez said. There were folks all over. The bag went and started smoking, Perez said. I approached it. I radioed, and then I picked up the bag, brought it over to the handicap sign over there in hopes that it would go off over there. It would be able to have some shock absorbed by those two pillars. Anyway, in his quick thinking, he ended up, uh, you know, protecting a lot of people. 20 flights happened to be canceled, though, so there were a lot of upset people. But a lot of times we make fun of these TSA agents. But in this case, you know what? He really was protecting the people. And what a cool thing. That's why he's the hero of the day. And that, my friends, is the show. We're done. The Matt Townsend Show, we're out of here, but we, uh, you know, you can find us on iTunes, on TuneIn. Look up, look us up on BYURadio.org or MattTownsend.com. BYU Sports Nation is straight ahead.